Welcome to the Voice of the Force podcast, Temple Archives, Episode 5, Lost in Love. My name is Noma, and I am joined by my co-hosts, Dan and Ed. If this is your first time listening to this podcast, then let me give you a bit of a rundown on what this is about. We are all about uh, going through the Star Wars canon material, the books and comics and kind of stuff like that. And we are going to do our best to summarize the story and tell you how it relates to legends and canon material. Then after the summary, we're going to have a short discussion where we talk about how we feel about the books, what we liked, didn't like, stuff like that. And then we'll also try and tell you where the novels and comics fit into the Star Wars timeline. Also, a little announcement is that all three of us will be attending Star Wars Celebration Chicago from eight, which runs from April 11th to the 15th. We are all very, very excited for this, and we want to meet up with listeners, other podcasts, and Star Wars fans. If you find us, let us know you're a listener, and we'll give you some free swag, which will be very cool swag. Speaking of Star Wars celebrations, we also have a giveaway going on right now. The prize is one five-day adult pass for Star Wars Celebration Chicago. The entry period is from March 2nd, 2019 to March 16th, 2019 at 9 a.m. EDT. Uh, To enter, you only need to do three things. The first is to follow us on Twitter at VoiceForcePod. Step two is to retweet our giveaway tweet using the hashtag VOTFGiveaway. One word, that is VOTFGiveaway. And the third step is to listen to the show and leave a review on iTunes or comment on the show post at www.voiceoftheforce.com. Be sure to include your Twitter handle in the review and comment. So before we get into the book, I'm just going to go over our little classic Temple Archives. We're calling them for now PSWAs, Public Star Wars Announcements. So if you want to find us or get a hold of us, you, there's a, a variety of ways that you can contact us. Uh, one is through our email, which is voiceoftheforce at gmail.com. There's also our Twitter, which is at voiceforcepod. Our Facebook page, which is facebook.com slash voiceforcepod. And you can also listen, rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Spotify, Tune in, Overcast, and Pocket Cast. And uh, just to remind you guys, reviewing helps with visibility, so we would definitely appreciate that. And as well with Twitter, retweeting our new episodes uh, does help with growing our listener base, and it would be very appreciated. Uh, also, with our podcast, you can subscribe for free for the latest episodes as soon as it releases. Remember to listen to the outro to find out what we'll be covering on the next episode. And as well as that, we've also got our classic little uh, spoilers warning. So we will be going over both of these full plot. We'll be, we won't be going over some of the smaller things, character interaction, stuff like that. But all the plot points, all the important stuff we're going to be hitting and letting you guys know. That is mostly for people who aren't interested in reading the books or uh, have and just want to get caught back up to speed. If you guys are interested in reading these, we would definitely recommend going and grabbing, you know, either copies of them, audiobook, 
physical, whichever one, um, because it's important to support these products. If we support them, then we're letting Disney and Lucasfilm know that we want more stuff, and that's the only way we're going to get new materials, right? So anyways, with that being said, let's begin with our novel, Lost Stars. The author of this book is Claudia Gray, and the cover artist was Pilot Studio. The cover art's uh, it's got a very striking image because we've got a Star Destroyer on fire with plunging down towards what looks like a planet. And behind it, there is half of the Rebel logo and half of the Imperial logo. Love this cover. Honestly, man, this is this cover jumped at me right away. I was like, I need I need this. I yeah, need it is fantastic. It just it's it's the epitome of what a good Star Wars novel cover should be. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I like this one very much. It, it was done very, very well. It's simple, um, but it, it like it it has everything you're looking for in it, right? Yes, simple and striking. Yes, it's, it's a exactly. it's a good combination. Let's begin with the opening crawl. Eight years after the fall of the Old Republic, the Galactic Empire now reigns over the galaxy. Resistance to the Empire has been all but silenced. Only a few courageous leaders, such as Bail Organa of Alderaan, still dare to openly oppose Emperor Palpatine. After years of defiance, the many worlds at the edge of the Outer Rim have surrendered. With each planet's conquest, the Empire's might grows ever stronger. The latest to fall under the Emperor's control is the isolated mountain planet Jelukan, whose citizens hope for a more prosperous future, even as the Imperial Starfleet gathers overhead. Prelude, Jelukan. The story begins in 11 BBY on the Outer Rim planet of Jelukan. It has recently been annexed by the Galactic Empire, and many of the planet's inhabitants are making their way to the capital, for an imperial ceremony celebrating this event. Two children, Thane Kyrell and Sienna Ree, are traveling to the ceremony with their families. Sienna's family lives out in the valleys with a group known as the First Waivers, who are a simple, hard-working people who are descended from the original colonists of the planet. They have a very strong code of honor and use very little in the way of technology. Thane's family is part of the second wave of colonists, who tend to be more affluent and live in the mountain cities. Second Waivers and Valley Kindred tend to be at odds with each other and don't get along very well. Despite their different backgrounds, both children are fascinated with ships and flying. They both notice the same Lambda-class shuttle flying towards the ceremony grounds. It turns out this shuttle is carrying Grand Moff Wilhuf Tarkin, who officiates the ceremony. While the people of Jellucan look on, both Thane and Sienna sneak away to check out ships. They separately come across the shuttle behind a security cordon. However, they are not alone. A group of older Second Wave boys see Sienna and begin insulting her for being from the valley. Thane, despite being a Second Waver himself, defends Sienna, engaging the older boys in a fight. Sienna joins him. Before things get out of hand, the fight is interrupted by Tarkin and his entourage. The boys take off, but Thane and Sienna remain behind. Instead of punishing them, 
Tarkin questions them, finding out that they were merely interested in the shuttle. He quizzes them and comes to realize the children know much about ships. He invites them into the shuttle, where they continue to impress him by identifying the controls. Tarkin gives them a speech about the glory of serving the Empire and the possibility that one day they themselves could pilot a shuttle or even command a Star Destroyer for the Empire. This sets the two children on a new life's mission, to attend an Imperial Academy and become officers in the Imperial Navy. And ho! Squad LRC-077 for your inspection, sir. Cadets, you enter this facility as children, and in a few short weeks, you will leave as soldiers. By the time you complete your training, you will be prepared to serve your Emperor. Part 1. The Academy. Five years later, Thane and Sienna have become good friends and flight partners despite their families' dislike towards each other. They train on Thane's brother's ship, which sits unused since he went off to the Academy himself. Over the next few years, the two train together whenever they can, helping one another and continuing to become an inseparable team. When Thane hits his physical limits, Sienna is there to encourage him. When Sienna struggles in her studies, Thane works with her. All this work pays off, and the two of them are assigned to the most prestigious school, the Imperial Academy on Coruscant. They arrive together, but are soon separated after their induction ceremony. They are assigned rooms and quickly make friends with their new roommates, and are soon able to reunite at a reception for new cadets. Along with their new friends, Thane and Sienna excel at the Academy, often competing for first in their classes. As time passes, they continue to be close friends, However, they also begin to notice their feelings for each other are developing into more. Thane notices the grubby valley girl he grew up with has become an attractive young woman. Sienna has her own feelings for Thane, but is confused and conflicted by them. They continue to lead their cohort in performance in, until a few years into their academy careers. Their classes partake in an exercise where they build laser cannons from spare parts. Sienna's works well, but Thane's fails to power on. The instructor soon discovers it has been sabotaged. Inexplicably, the evidence points to Sienna as the culprit. Sienna's roommate, Jude, does her own independent investigation and concludes that Thane has sabotaged his own cannon. With insufficient evidence either way, no one is expelled, but both of them fail the assignment. This drops them from their top spots in the class. They both approach Jude to continue her investigation into who sabotaged Thane's cannon. She concludes it was the Academy itself. Politics and, and corruption in the ranks are to blame. Thane and Sienna get into a heated argument about whether or not they should do anything about this. Thane insists they take the proof to their instructors, but Sienna's sense of honor, coupled with her belief it will get them into more trouble, stops her. Thane storms off, disgusted that she refuses to stand up for them. As he does, they both realize their friendship has been irrevocably damaged. Two and a half years pass, and the two continue competing, climbing their ranks again to the top of their class. However, their competition is no longer friendly, and the two don't interact socially and drift apart. Thane begins to become somewhat disenfranchised with the Empire, while Sienna becomes even more loyal. They are assigned to different specializations as they approach the end of their time at the Academy. Thane to Elite Flight, and Sienna to Command. This causes them to see each other even less. Despite the distance, though, 
They cannot shake the lifelong connection they have made. As graduation approaches, the top students are invited to attend a ball at the Imperial Palace. Naturally, Thane and Sienna are selected. Thane's roommate Ved also attends and becomes incredibly drunk. In his stupor, he reveals to the two it was obvious the Academy was setting them up against each other, an attempt to crush cadet relations to strengthen their belief in the Empire. With this understanding, they reconnect at the ball and begin to reconcile. With the friendship reestablished, Thane sees an opportunity to take things further. He holds back, though, not wanting to risk their fragile relationship. Cadets, follow Morgan's example. There is no friendship in war. The only thing that matters is victory. Victory at any cost. Part 2. A New Hope. After graduation, Sienna is assigned to the Star Destroyer Devastator, while Thane is assigned to a classified battle station as a TIE Fighter pilot. They go about their separate ways, but promise to see each other as soon as possible. They part with a kiss on the cheek. A few weeks later, Sienna takes part in the capture of the Tantiv IV. She mm. observes an enemy escape pod launch from the ship towards the desert planet below. The Devastator's next stop is the Death Star. When Sienna learns this, she contacts Thane, who is now stationed there. They are excited to see each other and promise to meet as soon as they can. Before they can meet, the Death Star arrives over Alderaan and destroys it. Both watch it happen in stark horror. Immediately after, Thane's TIE Squadron is sent to Datooine to investigate the Rebel Alliance base that is reportedly there. Upon seeing the abandoned base, he finally realizes the Rebel Alliance is not a disorganized rabble as he's been told. They are organized and well-equipped. This realization causes his faith in the Empire to falter once again. On the Devastator, Sienna sees the data feeds from the Death Star go dark. While her superiors deny it, she realizes the station and all her Academy friends aboard it are likely dead. This is confirmed when she is ordered to pick up Lord Vader in his TIE Fighter and bring both back to the Devastator, as well as scout out the wreckage of the Death Star to confirm whether or not the station is truly gone. The ensuing wreckage and the mangled metal are the only views she can see for miles around, and with it she all but confirms that her friend Jude is dead. Her dread intensifies upon meeting Darth Vader. Hearing the iconic breathing of his, of his respirator, she is completely paralyzed by fear. Her co-pilot, Boris Sai, tries to ease her fear by joking that he's a bit tense in person when first meeting him, though her compassion does help Sienna accept what is happening. Her loyalty is shaken again when the Empire reports that the Death Star had been damaged by rebel forces. Thane's squadron returns to the fleet from Dantooine, where he meets Sienna, who is overjoyed, as she thought he had died on the Death Star. In their joy, they realize their true feelings for each other and share their first kiss, only to have Thane ship out to a garrison on the spice world of Carav Doi, and they share a pained goodbye. However, on Carav Doi, Thane's loyalty reaches the breaking point after witnessing the maltreatment of Badachi slaves by the Empire and Imperial citizens. Thane's conscience can take no more, and he realizes that he needs to escape. He contacts Sienna via Holonet and attempts to relay his intentions, though he cannot speak plainly as he knows the Imperial Security Bureau may be monitoring their call. They both finish their calls, believing they agree on their futures. However, 
Thane believes they have both agreed to desert the Empire at the first opportunity, whereas Sienna believes they have agreed to stick to their oaths and serve, trying to fix the Empire from the inside. Thane deserts and returns to Jelukan. Upon learning this, Sienna volunteers to go find him, believing he has snapped under the stress of recent events. She is told that in the wake of the Death Star, the Empire will welcome Thane back without punishment. Sienna quickly finds him, and their misunderstandings come to light. Sienna pleads with Thane to return, but he refuses, in turn begging her to abandon the Empire and come with him. Sienna realizes this is likely the last time she will see Thane again, and they finally make love. Afterwards, they finally profess their love for each other and realize that they will need to part ways. Sienna tells Thane to get off the planet as she will report him as AWOL after a week. Despite this threat, she ends up returning to the Devastator and reporting that Thane had committed suicide. I love you. I know. Part 3. The Empire Strikes Back. Eighteen months after the destruction of the Death Star, Thane meets with Rebel pilot Wedge Antilles on a supply run. After a long night of drinking and talking, Thane is convinced the Rebellion is his best way to fight the tyranny of the Empire. While he does not believe in their high-minded ideals, it seems like the best course of action, and a way to redeem himself after he was forced to do nothing while viewing the Empire's despicable actions. At the same time, Sienna is transferred to the Super Star Destroyer Executor when Darth Vader claims it as his new flagship. As such, she is aboard when the probe droid locates the rebel base on Hoth. Thane, now a rebel, is stationed there. He flies a snowspeeder and manages to cripple an AT-AT during the Battle of Hoth. Afterwards, Thane escapes to the rendezvous point in an X-Wing. As he leaves the planet, he sees the Imperial fleet and realizes that one day he might encounter Sienna in battle and unknowingly kill her. After being ordered to coordinate the ties chasing the Millennium Falcon through an asteroid field, Sienna goes off-duty and studies the battle tapes from Hoth, determined to aid the Empire in understanding and countering the Rebels. Here she recognizes Thane's flying and realizes that he has joined the Rebellion. As the Empire chases the Falcon to Cloud City on Bespin, Sienna is charged with leading a team to sabotage the ship's hyperdrive. She does so, but it is later repaired and the Falcon escapes. Sienna is convinced she will be killed for her failure, but Vader and Imperial, Imperial Command simply ignore what has happened. Back on Jelukan, Sienna's mother is accused of embezzling money from the mine where she is a supervisor. Sienna knows this is impossible and requests leave to stand with her mother in the tradition of her people. She arrives to find no other families standing in support of her mother, until Thane arrives. From his perspective, he returns to support her, but also in an effort to get over her. He feels meeting her again will prove to him that the Empire has destroyed the good person she was. This turns out not to be the case, though their reunion is strained. Thane convinces Sienna to go flying with her like they used to. They do, and realize nothing has changed between them, except they are on opposite sides of a war. They return to the fortress, 
their secret childhood hangout near Thane's parents' hangar, where they have a heated exchange that leads to them making love a second time. Afterwards, Thane tries to recruit Sienna into the rebellion and fails. Sienna believes that if all the good people leave the Empire, then they will be worse off. Thane leaves Jellican while he can, newly resolved in a way he was not expecting. Sienna's mother is found guilty and sentenced to hard labor. Sienna returns to the fleet after realizing that she could not defend her mother without giving up her career in the Imperial Navy, and feels hollow that the Empire used her mother without a care. Distance to power generators. One seven decimal two eight. Target maximum firepower. Part four: Return of the Jedi. Sometime later, the Executor arrives at the second Death Star. Sienna has very mixed feelings about the fact they have created another one. Meanwhile, Thane prepares for the impending Battle of Endor. Two days later, Sienna participates in what she thinks is a practice tie scramble. It turns out to be the Battle of Endor. Sienna is caught in the blast wave from the station, and her tie is destroyed. Thane celebrates the Rebellion's victory over the Empire on Endor, though he is crestfallen, believing Sienna died in the Executor's fiery demise. It turns out Sienna survived, but was impaled by debris. She is forced onto medical leave. Over this time, the New Republic ex establishes a provisional council, and the galaxy begins to change. Sienna is soon cleared for duty, and is promoted to captain and given command of her own Star Destroyer, the Inflictor, at the young age of 25. As she takes command, she is ordered to partake in what will be a major battle between the Empire and the New Republic above the desert world of Jakku. Meanwhile, Thane and his squadron are given orders to board and attempt to capture Imperial ships, as the Republic needs to bolster its fleet. Thane and his team end up on the Inflictor, with the Empire losing the Battle of Jakku, and the Inflictor taking heavy damage Sienna realizes her ship is being boarded and sets it to self-destruct. It turns out it has been disabled by the rebel insurgents. Resolved that she can die and be released from her honor and the Empire's horrors, she locks herself on the bridge and sets the ship on a collision course with Jakku. After her announcement, Thane realizes her plan, breaks onto the bridge, and tries to convince her to save her own life by coming with him. She refuses and a fight ensues as each attempts to knock the other out in order to save their assailant. Thane is finally able to stun Sienna as the ship falls deeper into the atmosphere. They make it to an escape pod and launch much too low. After a rough landing, they are met by a New Republic team. Sienna is arrested as an Imperial war criminal. She awaits trial, but Thane is convinced she will be released as he now believes in the goodness and fairness of the Republic vowing to wait for her as long as it takes so they can be together. Back to Why does everyone want to go back to Jack That place is... No. Epilogue. Lead up to The Force Awakens. A month following the Battle of Jakku, the Empire has launched no further major offensives and retreated to the core worlds and inner rim. Within the New Republic government, there is talk of the remnants of the Empire capitulating, Meanwhile, in the Kulahan Nebula, the Imperial fleet rearms and restaffs with conscripts. 
Cyana and Thane's former comrade, Nash Windrider, now a TIE Squadron commander, vows revenge on the Rebels and Thane for Cyana's presumed death. Alright, so that was Lost Stars. What did you guys think of it? Uh, Dan, let's start with you. I liked it. It was really good. This is the third, fourth time I've read through this book. Um, uh, let me think here. I, I enjoyed it overall. It was a really good uh, young adult novel. Especially, as like this is one of the first Star Wars young adult novels in the new canon, I believe. I think it is the first. Um, there were some things I didn't like about it. But I'll get to those in just a second. Mm. I, I really enjoy the story covering basically uh, right before A New Hope, A New Hope, Empire Strikes Back, and Return of the Jedi. Like all those time frames. Mm. As well as a little bit after that. Um, the nice thing about, about covering all that is we get to see the Empire as it evolves through those time uh, frames. And mm. the, just like I said, the Imperial... Um, we basically get like the inner workings of the empire um, and how they move up. Uh, what happened after the Death Star one got destroyed, everyone's getting promoted at young ages, stuff like this. Cause they need to fill those positions. It's just really interesting to see the other side of the conflict. Cause in the, as rebels, when we see them in the movies, you see like everyone's scrambling to try and get this done. Luke makes a shot, one in a million shot destroys the Death Star. And then, after that, they celebrate, and that's it. But after the celebration, mm -hmm. we see, like, Cyanna, and, like, she picks up Vader. She looks for her friends, finds out, yeah, the Death Star is gone. My friend is dead, and I am now in a ship with this crazy Dark Lord of the Sith. She doesn't know he's a Sith, but, like, this crazy, intimidating man machine thing that's beside me. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, I really enjoyed the, those pieces of it, just the inside scoop of the Empire. Um, some things I didn't like, um, the, the mention of like, of sex, like I, you get that characters do have that in the Star Wars universe, but them actually like explicitly saying it took me out of it for a minute. There are other ways of going about saying that they do these things instead, um, instead of explicitly saying it. It's just like in the Star Wars universe, in all the novels we have read so far and the comics and everything. You just assume that they go to the bathroom. You don't ever, like, it doesn't ever just go to that. You know what I mean? Or it doesn't have mm -hmm. them, like, they're, sometimes it shows them eating and stuff like that. But, like, nine times out of ten, most of it's, like, explicitly or implicit, right? Um, apart from apart from that, the other thing that I didn't really like was um, Cyanna and her, her the, the loyalty to a fault of her character. Like, that's who she mm -hmm. is. But, I mean, like, that's her character. I get that. But after a while, it does burn you out a little bit as as, as it does Thane for a while, right? Like, he's like, she's gone. Like, she's not the Santa she was. Yeah. And then he comes back to her and, you know, sorts it out. But for a while, like, you're feeling Thane's um, burnout there with Cyan. You're just like, she's... If she can do this and <clears throat> this happens and she still believes in the Empire, that's crazy. Like, that, anybody would be mm -hmm. fed up with it at that point. Like, yeah, come on. Exactly. Like, there's one thing, you're just being blind now, like, willfully blind. That being said, though, yeah. too, Cyan is not the only one. Nash Windrider, who is mentioned at the end of the, uh, in the epilogue here that we have for the synopsis, he's an Alderanian that when he witnesses Alderaan getting destroyed, 
he does have conflict in himself and mm. it takes him a long time to recover from that but you'd think like after destroying an entire planet especially yours you wouldn't want to defect like no see there's for that one i feel like there's two sides of that coin there's the thane mm. reaction where it's like oh god what have they done no this isn't right i have to stop this and then yep. there's a Nash reaction where it's like, I've just lost everything. Mm. What do I have now? It's like, well, I've been here, and I guess if these guys go on this rampage, there's nothing really I can do. So you know what? I'm just going to dive right into this. To, to quote... Forget to everything quote, else. Yeah, to, to quote the legendary movie Spider-Man 2. Oh, God. He has nothing now. Nothing except Spider-Man. No. <laughs> <laughs> um, nothing yeah, except wind riding. Well, yeah, the, the, the way I kind of saw that was I, I saw the bit is like Nash basically develops disassociate. I think it's called disassociative personality disorder. Okay. Where because because you're right, his order his his options are basically like I have like I have nothing, so I either defect, lose everything else I have, and now I have nothing, or I double down. I just forget all about that. I just have the empire. That's all I can rely on now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's kind of like he snaps at that point, right? And I think that that they kind of, I think that's what they were trying to to hint at with his whole thing, where um, Cyana's saying after the Cyana and Cyana and Thane are saying after the Death Star destruction that Nash doesn't seem like himself. Yeah, like he's very spaced out and he's he's just like going through motions. His mind has cracked at that point. Like it's mm-hmm. like he's trying to get through all this stuff while working. Yeah, and and, it's and that's killing him. And it it just happens that when he he's able to pull himself back and. He pulls kind of climb, back. climb from the brink. That's what he holds on to, right? Is yeah. his his devotion to the Empire is all he has. Yeah. So that part I didn't mind too much. That's but fair. The I, way you 100%... put that now, I do I do appreciate that. Then, mm-hmm. like his character just, breaks it's... down, and then he comes back as the only thing he has to live for left, because everything else is gone. Yeah. yeah. What the only thing he has is his friends in the Empire and his duty, and yeah. he sticks with that. On the flip side, though, because this is the problem these that there are some assumptions because we don't get anything from nash's side is that i also have a huge problem with Sina's character because she has that same diehard loyalty as nash but she doesn't have the reasons for it she never really snaps mentally yeah and it's more just like she, the way she was like raised as a valley kindred it's yeah, like the, it's, the loyalty like the honor that you have is like the only thing that you have in your life yeah so if you don't it's, have it's, if you don't go to that then yeah it's the yeah, it's the expectation that you will be blindly obedient. Right. But the biggest problem I have with that is the fact that when she goes back to Jellocan and oh, has the whole sorry. thing with with her, uh, has the whole thing with with her mom's trial, she specifically talks about the fact that she doesn't understand why her father's not doing anything. Mm-hmm. Like. Yeah, because she's like, I can't, I can't understand why you're, you're not saying anything, why you're being loyal. It's because the empire you, will basically take you out, right? Like that's the, that's the assumption. And, but she doesn't come to they, that. If, well, no, but that's the thing. If they'd said that, we can't do anything. We're trapped. That's one thing. Although it still wouldn't make sense for me. But it's the fact that her father says, "This is how it is. This is how honor works." us yeah he's you, like again he's he's, he's loyal this. to a fault and it reminds me of um like if you look at like game of thrones like the medieval times kind of era um mm. having like a swearing fealty to somebody right that's kind of the exact same thing where it's like you swear fealty to this family mm. and you do it until you die like if 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 it comes to 
your fealty and they need you to help them fight a war and the war is not in your favor, you still are expected to go there, fight that war and die alongside them mm. for your and, honor. And, and, and that's and kind of what that it reminds would... me of. But here's my problem with that is that that would make sense on it. If Sayana came to that conclusion as well, her father says that she comes to that conclusion, accepts that, then it's like, all right, yeah, she has to double down on that unfaltering loyalty. The problem is she doesn't agree with her dad. Yeah. yeah. She she says that at like when she leaves, she can't she still can't believe it. And it's like, all right, well, at that point, you don't have that unshakable loyalty then. So you should be trying to defect now because or at least try to get your mother out of prison. Or yeah, just do something. Fight back in some way because it's clear at this point you don't believe in the empire and you're not willing to stand up for them. Right. So but then I... she just she just doesn't for another like 6 years. Yeah. Or not 6 years, but like 2 or 3 years she yeah. just doesn't. And I was like All right, now you're just keeping her in the empire just so that we can have the climax moment. And exactly. that an yeah, and that annoys me when the character is doing something that goes against their personality but it's there just for the sake of the story. Now, to be fair, true uh, too. Cyanna, like, as we're talking about this, it kind of gave me the idea, like, yeah, it's she kind of goes through a moment that's maybe not said or, like, explicitly told to the reader, like Nash Windrider, right? Mm-hmm. The only thing that she, like, she, she really loves Thane, but she can't go to him, right? Because she can't defect in her mind. Mm-hmm. She doesn't have her family left because her mother's in prison, which means she's as good as dead. Her dad believes that that's only thing that can happen so he's like he's not gonna be doing anything he's barely living so he's pretty much dead so the only thing she has left is her loyalty to the empire or her loyalty to thane and she chooses her loyalty to the empire over thane after the moment like i just think it was that that, you like i'm I'm with gnome on this one it's that weak way of trying to be like oh you know what we can change the empire from the inside yeah yeah, <laughs> like there's everybody gunning to do different things in this empire mm. to advance themselves, mostly to advance themselves, as we see in the book. With yeah. it's like, oh, what are you gonna do? Are you gonna are you gonna give up your career, or are you gonna stick with uh, what we tell you? And it's like, yeah, well, I have to stick with what we tell you. I'm gonna change. It's like with people like this above you, what are you gonna change? Yeah, <clears throat> like that's that's juvenile thinking. You're not gonna change anything. It's gonna keep going this way until you die, which nearly happens. And mm-hmm. so it's just like, no, you should have done the whole peace out and going with Thane, do whatever. Mm-hmm. I mean, I hate that switching sides thing a lot, but... <laughs> the, the one thing I really do enjoy, though, is that no character is perfect in this story. Like, mm-hmm. as, much will... as, as much as we don't like Sienna's kind of character traits to a degree, um, there are, like, it's like everybody has their pluses and their, and their like, the pros and cons, right? And there's a Thane, fault and there's just this. Yeah, and but... like Thane's life in general. I don't know about you, but he's definitely my favorite character in this entire novel. Um, oh, you don't like Nash? No, <laughs> not at all. Uh, Thane, though, like he he goes into it and he does what we would assume someone that would is working with the Empire and sees everything that does happen. He doesn't have like this glazed look over his eye when he witnesses these things. He's like, oh, you know, they're... they're, they're they're fighting for you know freedom and stuff like that no they're enslaving people he's seeing that they've destroyed an entire planet which is like they said like two billion inhabitants on alderaan they have done so many atrocities and it's like coring worlds and taking all their minerals for whatever means right mm-hmm. he sees these things and then he decides i'm gonna defect 
Now, the one thing that I, I got when I, when I was listening to the audiobook was when he contacts um, Sayana, he believes he's communicating with her about defecting by not saying specifically that he's going to do this. Mm-hmm. He's like, yeah, like I, I, it's so hard to deal with the loss of so many people. And she's like, yeah, I know. It's very hard. And they're talking about two different things. Dane's talking about Alderaan being destroyed. Sayana's talking about the Death Star being destroyed and Jude and all her friends, right? Mm-hmm. So I thought that was a really interesting, like, they thought yeah, they're on the same wave- wavelength because the entire novel is like, they are two peas in a pod. Like, they their minds are melded together because they were flying at a young age together. They understand each other's movements in, in flight all the time, right? But then there's mm-hmm. this point where they don't see eye to eye and they thought they did. So that was a really interesting conflict between the two characters that wasn't to the rule of what they thought their lives were like. They thought they were on the same wavelength at all times. Yeah, and and like until the the return of the Jedi section, that that was one of the best points was their clashing ideals. Being able to see two characters with ideals that clash that dramatically but can still get along. And I think that that's that is I think the strongest the biggest strength of this book is it's it's ability to just have character interaction and character building and just have good believable characters that we care uh, about for for the most part yeah Yeah. because the the thing that i was most impressed with was the fact that they show you all these imperial cadets you know growing up and and training for the empire and they're all likable people right even the the guy who's supposed to be nash but well, and that's interesting actually, because I I thought Nash was, was still an interesting character. The even the guy who's supposed to be there to be kind of like the, Dick. yeah, the troublemaker. Of the um, in the academy. Yeah, yeah the academy. Ved, um, Ved, right? They they mentioned Ved Poslo. They mentioned him once. Or, yeah, oh, Ved Poslo. Yeah. What a he's name. he's yeah he's the snobby aristocrat son who looks down on everyone. But even he has good points, and he he has the whole thing. Or he, he reveals to them what's actually been happening. Yeah, he's like, yeah, I'm not exactly. stupid. Like, I know it's it's the Empire's, like, screwing with you yeah. guys. He's like, how did you guys not figure this out kind of thing? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And and I was impressed with that because it's it's rare that you that someone or an author is, is willing to take a character who's supposed to be disliked and give him crucial plot information that really helps the main characters. Yeah, because that's, that's the beginning of Thane, Thane's defection in general because, like, that's the point where he's like, okay, the Empire is not what I thought it was. Mm-hmm. If they're going to yeah. be stooping this low to try and push us against each other, which is successful, mm-hmm. that's that's absolutely nuts. And it yeah. it's not successful and... in the way that they thought. It's just in success, like the Empire thought. It's successful mm-hmm. in the way that Thane and um, Sienna, they they're like the Empire wouldn't do this. Sienna says, and then Thane's like, "No, they are doing it. Are you stupid?" And mm-hmm. then that's where they clash, right? Yeah, and but so. and that's the thing, right? Like he's he's basically instrumental in rebuilding their friendship. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I was like, wow, kudos to to that because it, like I said, you know, it's rare that I see a character who's supposed to be disliked end up being that important to the main characters. Yeah. Um, but speaking of disliked characters, uh, Nash Windrider, because I I was talking with Ed about this right before we started the podcast, and he does know about this because I was re- listening to Nash and I was like. Where have I heard? I, I swear, somewhere before, in some sort of form, I've heard a story about an Alderanian working for the Empire and after sees that his planet get destroyed and still works for the Empire. And I was like, but what I don't understand is I remember that from like 
from like the old Legend Japanese stuff? no the old Japanese manga of yeah. like Star Wars. Wait, what? And there's so, a manga? Yeah, then? yeah. There's a manga series of, of of Star Wars like New Hope and all that stuff. Oh wow! So it's like I was like, oh, is that what it's from? So I, I looked it up, um, and it turns out that's not quite right. But it turns out I didn't know this, and I thought it was a lot older than this. But apparently, it started in 2017. There's a, a manga webcomic for Star Wars Lost Stars. Yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I knew that was com- that came out, but I, is is that? Uh... It's not done. No, it's like, it's volume no, one it's... of like four, I think, or three. Uh, yeah. There's 34 chapters right now. I I just looked it up um, before we started because I was really curious. It's incredibly close to finishing, though. Um, it's the official. Newest cha- yeah, it, yeah, it's it is, official. It, yes, yeah, it's an official stand, uh, basically like stand alongside. But um, yeah, there the newest chapter, which came out February 9th this year, um, is actually t- it takes place during the epilogue. It ends with uh, the New Republic capturing Sienna. Oh, so it's almost done. Yeah. yeah, yeah. There's like one or two more chapters, maybe. Nice. But yeah, I was kind of surprised. I'm I'm curious to kind of go back and read this now. Yeah. What were you mm-hmm. saying? The connection between Nash, though. Oh, that was the connection because I, I was like, I remember this character specifically. Like you, like that's I, the one thing you remember from reading the the comic. Yeah, because I, I well, because okay. I didn't, I, I didn't, I didn't even read the comic. I just remember seeing this like, I can't remember where, but a couple pages of like that happening and him seeing the Death Star get destroyed. But then he like doubles down and, and keeps that's one image that burned in your mind when you read through this book. You're because like, oh, I remember it, this. Yeah. It's a good visual for his face on it to just be like, huh. yeah, yeah. And destroyed. you just you see the moment where he's just like, I have to look at well, that up afterwards. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. So it was those, and then it was the fact where I was like, oh, that's an interesting concept. An Alderanian who sees his homeworld get destroyed and keeps working for the Empire. You don't really think of the Alderanians as being imperial supporters, right? At mm-hmm. all. So having yeah, one as a cadet and then now as a, a worker, right? Yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, so it's a, God, it's, apologies. it's a nice... <laughs> no yeah, it's, it's a nice twist. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, uh, other than that, Ed, was there anything else that you had to... Oh, actually, sorry, before... We go to Ed, because I was reminded of this from something Ed had said earlier, which was it. I mean, it, it's it's a little bit tongue in cheek, I guess. It kind of makes sense because it was already named that. But there's the whole point where Cyana um, and Thane are both talking with their friends about like, are we sure the Death Star is an instrument for good? And I'm like, it's called the, the Death, Death Star. Star. And she she comes to realize that later on when the Death Star Two is made, she's like, oh, they really wanted to kill people. Yep. Yeah. Yep. That's so why it's called the Death Star. Yeah, but they're like, no, it's a show of force used for peace. I'm like, then they wouldn't have called it the, the Death, Death Star. Star. They would call it the, the I don't know, the Gray Metal Peacekeeping Station. Yeah. yeah. Empire, even like Empire's Might or something, where it's just like, yeah, sinister undertones. The but Imperial Peacemaker. <laughs> the Imperial Peace Orb. Yeah. It's like the the was it the Borg Cube. Whatever that yeah. is. Yeah. <laughs> the Bori has like cube ships or whatever. Yeah, but but um, yeah, that, that just reminded me of that because uh, Ed mentioned in in an earlier Temple Temple Archives how no one seems to understand that the Empire names all of super evil things. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> is there any like Which, is there any other positives you have, Noma, about the book? Like is there stuff that you've really enjoyed? Apart from what you've said so far? Um <laughs> I just wanna know. <laughs> like did you like the descriptions of the battles? that we had like the ones that we already knew about but then like got a little bit more information on like the the movie battles mm, not not really because okay. they were all just kind of things that i like 
the the only the the Battle of Endor set up my expectation is kind of where um, I started to get disappointed with the book because I was I spent that entire battle waiting for Sienna to defect partway through and she never did and she never did because because like I said before that was at the point where all her loyalties are are basically shattered mm-hmm. she doesn't look at the Empire as being good anymore she's completely disenfranchised with it she's on the same level as Thane but she just doesn't because the Reasons. plot. Because yeah, reasons. and then because because they need to to pull a battlefront two and have the Battle of Jakku in there somehow. Exactly, it's actually everything, Battlefront everything one. Go down there. Battlefront one. That's what this tie-in is for. Oh, is it? Yeah. Oh, weird. well, it's it's not. It's it wasn't supposed to be a tie-in, but the basically like Jakku was like this thing we didn't know about for the Force Awakens, and mm-hmm. then they released Battlefront, and they're like, oh yeah, there's a tie-in novel, which is Twilight Company, which we'll be reading later, which is an oh, amazing, okay. amazing book. Uh, but this is kind of like a precursor to that, where they kind of give us a little hint at what happened at Jakku. Um, oh, okay. So this is like, because basically this is like the tie-in to show you that the Death Star or the Star Destroyer that went down, that Ray is kind of flying through. Mm-hmm. That one that she's like scavenging is pretty much the one yeah, that they were in. That's the Inflictor, right? Which is on the cover yeah. of the of the of the book, right? So, but this will tie into I think one of Ed's points, because as that whole battle on Jakku was going on, I was. Granted, I haven't played it, but I, I watched the, the all the cutscenes and whatnot for it. It's nice. I was just getting, I was just getting like vivid flashbacks to like the Battlefront Two um, single player D- DLC at the yeah the end stuff with Jakku. Yeah, that's where it's good. just like ah, oh, this you might as well just rename the character Aiden, and she might as well just be fighting uh, Dell or whoever the other guy. Yep, it's just <laughs> this is the same thing. <laughs> Except that's that, why as soon as I saw yeah. this all seems very familiar. Yeah, there's definitely yeah, a correlation yeah, between between them, but Aiden sees the light, whereas Sienna never does until the end. Yeah, right. And so she, she's basically the what's the bad guy's name? Del Rey or Del Miko? Del Miko is her. Del Miko is the good guy. It's the other guy. guy. Oh, okay, Sergeant it starts with an H, right? Hask or Hask? Oh, Hask. Hask. Yeah, yeah. So she's basically Gideon, the like Gideon Hask. Oh, okay. Gideon. It's always got to be a super British name for the bad guy, huh? Yeah. I just every time I hear Gideon, I think um, Magic the Gathering. Gideon. He's, oh, Gideon. He's a, he's a the walker. Raptor. Yeah, I always think of uh, it's me, right? Forty K. Yeah. Uh, Warhammer Forty K. There's a, a famous character named Gideon Ravener. Oh, nice. Okay. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So on that note as well, because I saw on on Ed's point, switching sides seems familiar, and I was like, yeah, I kind of like that part. Yeah. <laughs> So Ed, uh, you got any other any other points that we've missed, or? Well, just um, from the Empire, but there was when they're on Jellican and they're describing it for the first time. It's like you have the first settlers who came there and they're very traditional, and then you have the second wave, and it's just like if you have a second wave, the only thing they should be able to adapt to is what's already been set there. Like, sure, you mm-hmm. can build your other stuff up, but like right. we're coming with this sense of oh, we're bearing you because we came in second. It's like what? <laughs> Like that was really sick. that. This makes their whole status on that planet makes no sense to me. Like, whatsoever. like you have like the ones that are like the Valley Kindred that are like living in like farm kind of areas, and then you yeah. have the second waivers, which are the ones that have all of the money and all of the technology, and like there's they're kind of at odds with each other. Like the second yeah. waivers look down on the Valley Kindred. Like, it, it makes no sense to me because this is Star Wars. I uh, get there are there are planets on Tatooine. There are planets around like the Star Wars. Like you get to it later in other, sorry, in other novels, in like comics and stuff like that, where you see um, there are planets out there that technology really hasn't gotten to yet. It's like third world kind of Dance countries. 
Uh, no, even even um, I don't want to give spoilers, but just like a very brief thing, Phasma's novel. There is something okay. that happens like similar to that, where it's not a lot of technology. Um, but yeah, there's there's different areas in the Star Wars universe. You'd think they would all have technology, but again, it's the making sure that the areas that we're in, because I'm assuming Jellocan's in the outer rim or it's oh, in the like... mid rim. I'm not too sure. I I do see what ed means though because there are some things that like the fact that the first waivers they're like oh yeah we we um we grew up without technology so we don't use it and it's like that's not how actual civilizations work though no because usually when a civilization has a technology or doesn't have technologies and they're introduced to them they just adapt them yeah because it's like if if you if you never had a bathtub and I introduce plumbing to you, you're not going to be like, well, I'm going to go back to my, you know, washing in a basin because I trust this and not the devil machine that spits out water. It's like, nah, if it helps you in day-to-day life, you'd probably switch to it. Yeah, I get that. Um, it, it is a little it, weird to have, like, yeah, some of them being like that and the others being like, oh, no, we got this, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. Funny enough, do you want to know where um, it's located in the galaxy? It's no, in the uh, far... As the far outer rim by Korriban. Like, the closest main oh. planet that we know is Korriban. Interesting. Um, there are <laughs> other ones, like, I've never heard of before. <laughs> but, yeah. What? Yeah, it's it's in <laughs> it's in a very... Sim- like, it's, what, maybe... I don't know, like, distance-wise... Oh, it's it's like, in the next system over. Wise. It's in the next system over. Okay. Um, hmm. And Yavin is close to Korriban, too. Like, it's as close to Korriban as it is to Yavin. Imperial space, basically. No, it's mm-hmm. Corban is way out there. It's like it's way out in outer. outer I was rim. thinking Old Republic. Yeah, all this is oh, like okay. super outer rim area. Um, what other points did you have there, Ed? Uh the school when they're when they're in the when they're in the academy. Uh, just to like, taste at some of the Imperial school life. Like, you already knew it would be, like, very militaristic. We've seen this in Rebels. We've seen it sort of in the Clone Wars. Or mm. not in the Clone Wars, sorry. Um, mostly in Rebels, where it's, like, where Ezra tries to go into the Academy and stuff like that, and he's there, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and you see some of it. But then this is, like, okay, we it's test day, but because we don't like you, this whole test is going to be ten times harder for you just because. Yeah. It's like, oh, it's like, really aren't you trying to make office like you want to have your system being stable and everything but you see the whole mentality for the system begins here it's like you will step over everything like hey would you rather save the day or or exactly Mm. it's like this this isn't something that just comes up this is something that is from the start it's built into the imperial cog exactly yeah um it's interesting to see the the contrast between the the friendships and like it's you know because all the the students when they're talking it's usually like it's happy and kind of you know bantery and everything's kind of good and it's like oh this this doesn't really seem like the empire and then as soon as it goes to the lessons and the teachers and all that stuff it's a lot more like harsh and kind of that darkness that you assume from the empire like when they they go over the star destroyer self-destruct sequences and Sayana brings up the foreshadowing thing where she's like, oh, yeah, if the self-destruct doesn't work, just smash into a planet and kill yourself and every end, you know, kill yourself and whatever crew remains for the glory of the Empire. And the instructor's like, very good. And it's like, okay, yeah, I get the whole authoritarian hand on on their backs kind of thing. 
But like the blind obedience of Sienna is just something where yes, we've agreed that it's irritating. Um, and I can understand like where she's coming from in terms of, like you have like a knight's honor and stuff like that. But then the, you, there's just some things that are just wrong. And no matter what you see, no matter what you say, mm-hmm. no matter what you believe in, there's the code. There's the moral code that it, that is above everything else, really. And due to her upbringing and everything, she should be able. She should be the first one to be seeing this. Mm-hmm. It's like Fane shouldn't have been the first one to be like, "Oh my gosh, this is wrong." It should have been. She should have been grabbing him like, "This isn't what we signed up for." Yeah. Like this isn't what my honor is about. Like she, that was. I that feel like she's blinded her by her loyalty. That's the thing. Like that's the one thing that's keeping her from seeing what is actually happening. Yeah. But, and, exactly. And but this oh, is what ties in my next point in terms of a segue into it is the Imperial heroes that kind of show up on Angelican that day. And we get Tarkin who shows up and they're all like, Oh my gosh, it's Tarkin mm-hmm. kind of thing. And that's kind of like where her, his recognition of the two of them really sealed her in to be like, Oh, the empire isn't all that bad at all. Look, we have this guy. He's the high ranking guy. He recognizes kids and he's good for it. Yay. Kind Cause of they thing. meet Tarkin again <laughs> later. Cause like at the very beginning, and he they're getting in a scrap them. and then mm-hmm. he stops them and then they don't run. They talk to him about it and stuff. Exactly. And then he, he, she meets, is it Cyana meets him again? Or is it Thane? Cyana. Cyana meets yeah, him yeah. again. And then she's yeah. like, yeah, I was on Jellicane. And he's like, oh yes, I remember this. And he's and like, I have to make, again. I have to make a, rec- I have to make a point to uh, be more, oh, like do more career. recruiting out there. Yeah. And, and that's then, what also seals in her mind, like, oh my gosh, he remembered me, and all this exactly. like, must be great guy kind of thing. And, and that's like, a great this guy like this the Empire is the about. Empire if it wasn't exactly, and that and, sets her further back yeah. on this nonsense thought. And that that was something I was impressed with because they do slip in a line where Tarkin is basically like, when they're kids, uh, Tarkin, is, you know, after they're all excited and everything, Tarkin turns to the officer next to him and he goes, I, I think it, I something like he goes. Oh, do you see, Piet? Uh, the lash is good, but sometimes it's better to uh, offer the hand instead. And I was like, oh, this is really interesting to see that, you know, you're humanizing Tarkin a little bit. You're not just yeah. being, oh, he's going to be an evil monster. Especially oh, from no. the Tarkin the top oh, of the I had. disagree. I disagree completely. That's well, more manipulation <laughs> than anything. Yeah, that's I true. I think he was but, being so, honest sorry, there. Human, hum, humanizing might not be the, the right word, but... Um, Expanding him from being a one-note character, right? Yeah. Not always, he's like not a... always like, I'm going to blow you up. I'm going to hit you. Mm-hmm. And it's like, oh, no, yeah. I will subtly, just, you know, warp yeah. your mind. But he also knows bit. how to make you come to us thinking it's your own will. The thing exactly. Is, he knows how to deal with people that should know better and kids. Like, that's kind of the... We never see Tarkin interact with kids until now, I think, right? Everyone he's ever dealt with is a, is a grown person or at least a teenager, like middle-aged, right? Mm-hmm. even and so this is the first time we see him communicate with kids that are like nine or younger i don't know um but it's interesting because he he does that's kind of what he's saying he's like i know how to interact with kids in a way that makes them want to work with us and that's what i think ed's getting at he's like he's manipulating these kids but he's also he's using it in a way that is beneficial to both them and him yeah yeah mm-hmm like I'll give you a purpose, I'll give you a future. It's still gonna be for us, but you know, there you yeah. go. Devote your life to that now, kind of thing. Yeah, it's just like Palpatine and Anakin. He's like, I'll look forward to your career with great interest. You know, like exactly as mm-hmm. a kid. So similar that way. That's true. Um, just, just to swing back uh, for one last point I had, just for uh, when I was talking about the blind obedience. Uh, no, 
<laughs> okay, go ahead, go ahead. Because uh, that that is one thing. It was one of the first things I thought of where it's like, because that, like I said, that blind obedience really got on my nerves by the end of the book. Um, and I, I know that the first thing people would probably say is like, oh, it's, well, it, you know, like like what uh, you guys were saying a little bit was like, oh, you know, it's like a knight's honor or it's like, you know, a knight kingdom, a Christian knight kingdom is honor or samurai Bushido honor. You know, you can't you can't betray your, your masters or, you know, you can't betray the higher power that you work for or anything like that. And it's like, I, you know, that's not how that worked, because in history, the night like any honorable order, right, Knights Teutonic samurai any of those they betrayed their their the higher powers whenever it was convenient for them as long as they believed they were in the right Mm -hmm. and so that's why i i've never been a huge fan of like oh we're you're you have total loyalty so you'll you'll never do any you'll never disobey no matter what we do to you it's like that's not how anything works that's not how people work exactly exactly so like seeing her do that was very unrealistic the thing Mm -hmm. that the, the thing that makes me happy about you guys not liking Sayana so much <laughs> is the fact that she could create a character that makes you hate her so much because <laughs> it reminds me hatred per se it's just like dislike. i'm disagreeing uh, with character motives okay like so it's, it's not the character itself yeah. it's the actual actions that the character takes yeah, it, that, the, yeah. that like doesn't make sense with the plot disappointed for you and disgusted mm-hmm. okay or it's like yeah because because yeah, I love, I love like your I visceral said, I, reactions I was... to this. This is hilarious. <laughs> well, because like I said, I, I was on I was on board with her the entire time. I was like, I understand what she's doing. I understand all of this. You know, it's how she was raised. It's what she believes in. And the well, empire she's hasn't. A kid. Yeah, and and still a young person, right? It's like, but the empire hasn't done anything bad to her. They haven't tried to break her yet. And then her mom's trial happens, and they do. And at that point, and if she, she knows had been it. like, she knows it. Exactly, and that's the kicker. Because if she had been like, you know, the Empire is right. I know because her her friends Nash and Baris, they go hardline. They're like, well, the Empire said it, so it must be right. Um, you know, the Re- like anything they say is true. We have to believe that. And it's like if she was on that level, then I would have been fine with the fact that she she leaves her mother's trial, knowing that her mom's going to die from hard labor. And but then she is fine with that. If she'd been like, well, not yeah, not yeah, well, no, no, not even there, because then it would have been like if because if she was on that same hardline note, it would have been like okay, obviously, yeah, she believes in the empire, she has to, so she's gonna ignore even her mom. But it's the fact that she then goes back and she can't understand why her dad didn't do anything, who adopted that same hardline stance. I'm gonna, I'm gonna re-listen to that part just to be sure that's what happened. I don't remember the fact that she says to her dad like I don't understand why you're not doing anything. But maybe that is the case. I don't remember. It, it was the, the feeling in the house when she, because at the place when she has her arm around her mom, basically being like, "Oh my gosh!" And her dad's just kind of standing there, just like, "Well, he's basically lost. Now, he's lost the will to live." Mm. Oh, don't even bring that line up right now. <laughs> what do you mean? Kidding me. Lost Pat, the will Pat, to live. Yeah, Padme sickness. We oh, call it. yeah, yeah. That's fair. That's fair. <laughs> but yeah, it's... disgusting thing that's the ever one. Happened. The one thing that took Ed's favorite character away. Yeah. How dare they? But what what I remember is that at the end of the trial, she basically goes to her dad and says, why didn't you even do anything? And he goes, we have to obey the Empire. We have to have blind loyalty, blah, blah, blah. And she walks away being like, that That doesn't make sense. But that's what she's doing. Exactly. And that's like, I, get you, I get why you're upset with yeah. it now. If, if she doesn't understand why that mindset exists, but you know then she goes be? along with it. You know what it might be? It's just 
She yeah. doesn't understand why her dad is thinking that, but she understands why she does. Like she, she thinks she has reasons for she, doing it, but she doesn't. Yeah, like she has more of like a like a. That's like nonsense. She's, she's done it for so <laughs> like she's been in it for so long. It's almost impossible for her to quit. Like you know what I mean? Like she's too yeah. far into like she's knee deep in the empire, and if she moves, all she's doing is going deeper into the empire. Like she can't get out of it. You know what I mean? And I'm I'm kind of with Ed there, where it's like if that was a normal human, like in everyday life, I could kind of buy that. But for a story character, where you fabricate the 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 life of the character that she should have seen something and understood. It, oh it wow, just, this it, is what's happening to me. It seems far too hypocritical for a story character. Like with a normal human, yeah, because we're you know we're weird, you know, flawed beings. But for a character, for a story character, where you have to condense all of those flaws down, I don't know. It just it doesn't really sit right with me. And I get why they didn't make her a hardliner because if you make her a hardliner, it kind of kills her romance with with Thane. Yeah. But um, which also, speaking of which, going way farther, even farther back to your mention of of uh, sex, that that was the moment where I actually didn't realize while I was reading the book that I was reading a young adult novel. Um, at that, but no, because I, I just remember at certain points being like. They're really hammering home like the attra- the attraction, but we can't do anything line. Yeah. But I was like, ah, whatever. They're young. It's just you know, it's just a thing that's gonna because they're gonna get together. I already know that. You know, put people like that together, and then when they go when they switch the the love scenes, I was just like, whoa, wait a second. I'm getting Twilight vibes from this. Yeah, like, almost, oh. almost. I was like, uh, like granted, I've never read Twilight, but I was like, this is what I expect to see in like a young adult novel. And I remember talking with my friend, being like, I think I'm listening to a young adult novel right now. <laughs> I was like, you, you know, you can check right now. I looked it up, and I was like, oh my god, I am. <laughs> <laughs> and it, it's it's the yeah. longest one we've read so far. Like it's the longest audiobook too. It's like almost twelve hours, or just at twelve hours. Yeah, it's yeah. a long book. Mm, have we gone? No, the longest one we've done was Thrawn. We haven't done Thrawn yet. Have we not? Nope. Ah, well, excuse yeah, me. <laughs> excuse me. Spoilers for the future. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> let me just look up the. Uh, so, Lost Stars is eleven hours and forty-one minutes. Mm. Dark Disciple was eleven hours eleven minutes. The Tarkin was nine twenty-seven. Oh no! A New Dawn was twelve forty-three. Damn. Uh, I think that's it, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, twelve forty-three is the longest. We've... So this is the second longest so far. Any other? I'm gonna end this section with positive feelings. <laughs> positive <laughs> feelings only. Ed. Yes. Uh-oh. What did you rate it? If it's positive feelings, I'll go into the. Court. Oh, okay. So, <laughs> as as we know, from my uh, alignment. And everything like that. I definitely did like Lost Stars, despite everything that was said. I had a very good time with it as I was reading it because I, my experience with it was more so book in hand. And as I was flipping through, it was like I was missing bus stops and train stops and everything because I was getting so pulled into it. So I really did enjoy it, despite all what you may have heard negative from me. I gave this book an eight. Nice. And I would definitely want people to read this one in terms of. You know, getting a Star Wars story, for me, it was important because it didn't focus on the main characters. Yes, we did see them, and we heard, like, Wedge and Vader and Tarkin. You see them, and they're doing their thing. Even Dak. But we're seeing, exactly. Even but we're Dak. seeing side characters and yeah. their story. And to show you, like, yes, there's a whole universe where a bunch of different things are going on. What was happening through the Battle of Endor? Oh, we have somebody who's in a starfighter while all the rest of the stuff is going on. Like, what's their experience of this battle? 
uh, the, you know, just the people that were on the Death Star that when it blew up, it was like, hey, guess what? Now you have a name for somebody who was on there. How do you feel now? Kind of thing. Like all those, we're getting these different than, hey, the heroes won today kind of thing. So mm. I enjoyed that aspect all right. of it a lot. Eight out of 10. Noma, what was yours? <laughs> yeah, I was about to say, I should go next if we want to end this one up. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's exactly what I'm um, thinking. There was also one point that I did realize, uh, this is, I guess, going back a little bit, I, I forgot about this note, but there was one moment where I realized that even though the book puts the characters in a lot of dangerous scenarios, nothing was going to happen to the two main characters. I mean, um, something that did was... happen to Cyanna at the end. Like, she got real screwed up after her TIE fighter crashed. Yeah, but her yeah, liver got destroyed. Die. They had to grow yeah, it back. But, but, but healable and, and all that kind of yeah. stuff. Like but, the uh, gravest injury that could happen that wouldn't be life like threatening. Mm. But yeah, there, there's one moment. We, we didn't really go over it in the summary, but there's a moment where um, the Imperials, basically, the Rebels are spying on the Imperial fleet. And Thane's, Thane's squadron's there, and the the Imperials go out to attack them w under under the pretense of, of letting one of them escape to report the fleet's position. Yes, yeah. And, and that was a very tense moment for me, because I was like, oh boy, we've got a whole bunch of secondary characters here, um, and none of them have contributed... Like, they've all been great characters, but they haven't contributed much to, to the story. Mm -hmm, so yep. I was like, this is going to be the, the Game of Thrones moment. This is going to be where Thane loses... His whole squadron, it's just going to be, he's just going to barely make it out because we got Sienna and Nash both trying to take them down. This is going to be it. This is going to be the 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 soul-shattering moment. And then one guy dies, and it's the guy on the squad that you were kind of told not to really like. Exactly, yeah. It wasn't his, like, yeah. friend uh, Yandar yeah, or whatever. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, Yelkin. I, yeah, I think it was Yelkin. Yeah, exactly. Or Yandar. Yandor, Yandor, sorry, yeah. Yandor, right. yeah. Uh, the new yeah, kid. Yandor. The Twi'lek. Yeah, like, it, it's, not even, it's, not his, it's not his leader who he looks up to. It's not his friend that he likes. It's the guy on the squad that he actually doesn't like. Yeah, it's like, everyone hated and, him, but he was a good guy. Yeah. And then he just dies. Uh, so it's like, okay. And and there's also his friend from the Imperial Academy who also defected, Kindy. And I was like, oh, there's all these these things that'll, that'll later, stir though, up all these emotions. Yeah, that's true. For but Though as, we don't know if she escapes the, Death, the Star Destroyer. Because she's on the Death, uh, she's on the yeah, Star Destroyer yeah, with, with Thane. So she might have yeah, died in the, in the ship when I, it crashes. I, I, I doubt it. Because um, she tried to go for the escape pods, right? I'm assuming they all made it. I guess. So. But um, yeah, like as soon as soon as it was just Smikes, I was like, all right, they're not killing any of the secondary oh, characters. Yeah, Smikes is the name. Uh -oh. I forgot that. Yes, yeah, Smikes. <laughs> right. I was just like, it almost sounds like me. Mm. Um, so high, high notes for me for the story. Um, I was I I was very into the the first two thirds of it. Um, for most of it, I I really liked how true a lot of the secondary characters were. I felt like they were all real people. Yeah, definitely. So, yeah, even though they, they didn't have a lot of um they didn't have a lot of screen time. There was only one character in the whole like I you know, a book with Imperials, I'm expecting I don't know, eighty to ninety percent of them to all be those like sneering evil people who are just trying to out for yeah. themselves. Yeah, exactly, right? Like that I expect that kind of noise to come from them. There's only one person in that entire book who comes off like that and that's yep. there's some weird commander they introduced commander rotterdam i think his name was yep. he's the only person and i was like oh, you know what i get it he's he's gonna be the sneering and evil imperial but you're making thrawn or not thrawn you're making tarkin look good or at least you know believable like a real human you're making piet look good you're making vader not a murdering psychopath which is you know the the way i think a lot of people would would go with vader when given him um, so all those things were really, really good. 
It's just like I said, the main character had such a Cyana, not Thane. Yeah, Cyana. Cyana had such a weird crisis of conscience that leads to nothing and just kind of destroys her character personality for me. Mm-hmm. That really made me. By the end, I was just like, "All right, just finish, just finish." I just let's figure out what like let's see what happens. I know they're gonna, you know, find each other and everything will be great and it'll have a positive ending. Blah blah blah. Like I, I just kind of kind of tuned out near the end. Because I was like, I understand how, how everything's going now, and we're just using plot points to finish this instead of character personalities. Um, as opposed to, as we because we were talking about this before with our, our book rankings, as opposed to Heir to the Jedi, which to date is my lowest ranking for a book five. Um, but in Heir to the Jedi, I felt every character stayed true to their personality till the end. There wasn't a character in there. No matter the noodle thought, scene or not. Exactly. No matter what weird oh my scenes, God. <laughs> no matter what weird scenes are happening or weird flirtations or, or anything like that, like and they you, all would you say that character. that's more like the character, the character development and stuff, and the character staying within themselves is more important to you than the other elements of the book? Because that would I, make I sense. Would, mm, I, I would say that it's it's not necessarily more important, but keeping that I think is integral for me. Because once I get pulled out of something by characters not doing anything anymore, yeah. I lose I lose a lot of interest because it means I can't really Connect. try to predict accurately where the story is going to go now because everything's up in the air, right? Fair enough. Okay. The characters aren't following their own personalities. So unfortunately for me, um, Lost Stars gets a four. Oh. Because it... it, it it's not necessarily like I, I like to use the word like the the plane exploded in the hangar, um, you know, before it could even get off the ground. It wasn't that. Saiyan's tie definitely... fighter hit the hangar and exploded. Yeah, I mean, enough that before she <laughs> even got outside to fight the Battle of Endor, it just detonated in the hangar. <laughs> so it definitely it definitely wasn't that. It started really great. The plane was in the hangar, pristine. Got out, got on the runway, took off. It was great, and then it turned around to come back down and just exploded. Yeah, and then the, mm-hmm. just it's a great so, metaphor because yeah, it actually happens. Yeah, yeah, pretty much, right? So if For anybody who's ha- wondering. Yeah. <laughs> Spoil well, we we did one. We did the synopsis thing, already, so <laughs> <laughs> um but yeah, like if to be kind of blunt, if the, the story had ended at even if the story had ended after Endor and she you know, she defected then and then they'd kind of you know, realize that, you know, everything was gonna like she was wrong and I love how we just like can't get together. off of Sienna. <laughs> I'm sorry. It's, I just, it's, I just there's a lot to talk about it. I know. I know. No, I get. I love the fact that we can discuss about it, and we all understand that Sienna is this flawed character. Um, yeah. But like, like I said, I'm I'm glad just, we're having a good discussion about it. Yeah. Right. And that's that's my main thing is her her redemption arc comes far too late. If she had been redeemed at Endor, then I'd probably be giving this like a, a seven or an eight. Because I think that would have totally made a lot of sense. It's the fact that you have that point where she should have defected at, at Endor. And then you just stretch that out all the way to Jakku just because of the plot. Yeah, like, I don't know how it would change. I, don't, for me. I love how this is like the review, the rating segment, but we're just we're still going <laughs> we're off still to the reviewing. review. Which is fine. Um, <laughs> I, I, I'm just thinking about it. Like, if we had Sienna defect, she joined the Rebellion and everything was copacetic there. And Thane, Kenny or Kini or whatever her name is, and then Sienna go to the Star Destroyer to, um, to take it over, right? Like, 
would they be successful? Like, would it change the story? Because that start that starter story has to land on Jakku. And but you don't destroyed. necessarily. It does, but you don't actually need to to tie it into those characters, right? Right. Because that was that was the other thing is that there is there is a. This is, I guess, the only failing in Thane's personality is that he's very clear through the New Hope segments and the the Empire segments that he is fighting for the he will fight for the rebels, but he doesn't mm-hmm. believe in their cause. Yeah, he doesn't. He's not fighting for a better, a greater cause than himself. Mm-hmm. He's fighting because exactly. he hates the Empire. So it would have been a perfect like kind of tying up the story, I think, if she had defected. They win the Battle of Endor, everyone celebrates, and then after the Battle of Endor, Sienna and Thane both just retire. Yeah. They retire. Go live their life. They exactly. That, that's what I would... But the end of this for. book so has like, to oh, happen. That ties it up nicely. But that would be the end, right? Like, the the only reason I can see them adding in the Battle of Jakku is because they want to keep promoting Jakku. Episode which, 7. Yeah. That's that, it. It's that was, marketing. It was, it was coming up to Episode 7. So they wanted to make things that were that led into it. Like, we could have done the Battle we of Jakku just, without either of them. Well, we discussed this before. Where there's like they, they knew all they really had was Jakku. So they had to try and tie every new thing that came yeah, into, in, it, into to it. Jakku. And it's like, fair no, enough. you don't. Yeah. Okay. Like, yeah, so... So I yeah exactly. So I will 100% say that it is it is not the author's fault. I don't think it's it's um it's the author's like, fault. Okay, that... but where is Jakku kind of thing? Exactly, right? And it was like really I don't know if 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 the author is listening to this Claudia Gray. <laughs> I don't think she got to this point. I think she gave up. Yeah, probably. <laughs> <laughs> but I will say that. I it doesn't seem like it's her fault. It seems like something that they had to keep in. They were like you have to have Jakku. Yeah. It's like, ugh, all right, yeah, sure, have it. But the it story is help. amazing. Uh, there are great parts of the story, and we all exactly. agree on that. Absolutely. My rating for this one is seven point five. Um, both points on both sides. I understand. I agree with them. And there's some points that I made myself that I I, I voiced earlier that I didn't. It took me out of it a little bit, or. You know, I really enjoyed the parts of like covering the different time frames of the movies and things. Um, so yeah, seven point five. I would recommend this for sure to a person. Um, does it give you more than what you already know? That's kind of my basis of like recommending a book. I would say no, but I, 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 I still recommend it because it's a fun read to see the internal structure of the empire. It's fun read because you get to see the struggle struggles in the battles that we get of a new hope of Battle of Endor, Battle of Hoth, you know, like everything, you know, it, it gives you that the nostalgia factor because you can get, you can picture those fights in your head. When I say the battle, of, like the, the, the star fight above the Battle of Endor, you, I guarantee you close your eyes and you see all those tar, TIE fighters, TIE interceptors flying against the rebels and like you can picture that in your head. Battle of Hoth, you got the whole snow battle, they're describing how they're taking the walkers down, you got it in your mind, like you can... Mm-hmm clearly picture it oh and, th- and that's definitely true because the one thing i was waiting for was during the battle of endor thing you know the whole squadron's flying at the death star and i'm waiting for i'm waiting for the pull shields. up oh yeah. crap pull up yeah the shield yeah. shut up break off the attack and i was just like ah oh, say it lando say the line like, yeah <laughs> i was waiting i was waiting for after crap yeah <laughs> i was just waiting for it's just like they come out of hyperspace and thanes there's like after crap everybody pull up yeah. <laughs> oh man um 
Yeah. No, I, I would you guys recommend this to a young adult to read? I definitely would. If yeah. They're, if they're in yeah, like high school so. as a book to read Star Wars, kind of get them into it. Do you think this would kind of pique their interest if they're not into I mean, Star Wars even? I mean, it's a meme that's been uh, worn to death by the internet, but better love story than Twilight. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> it's true. Uh, no glistening skin, but... No, just curves. Yes, just curves <laughs> and edges. All right. Are we into uh, get into the next segment for Star Wars Volume 2? And for our second piece of literature today, we have the comic Star Wars Volume 2, Showdown on the Smuggler's Moon. This volume is written by Jason Aaron. The pencilers are Simone Bianchi, Bianchi, I'm sorry if I mispronounce your name, and Stuart Immonen. And the cover artist is also Stuart Immonen. The cover itself is a... <laughs> it's a Luke in a slightly perilous situation. He's kind of standing there with his blaster out. R2 is right next to him. However, there are about a half dozen blasters pointed at him, and they clearly have the drop on him. So Yeah, it looks kinda... like he's like, oh, hey, guys. Yeah, very, very fish-out-of-water kind of look, which is, is fairly relevant to uh, what happens in this book. Definitely. Mm-hmm. So, with that being said, let's dive straight into our summary. Opening page. From the journals of old Ben Kenobi, the last of his breed. While searching for his answers in his quest to become a Jedi, Luke Skywalker has uncovered a journal written by Jedi Master Obi-Wan Kenobi, a journal that Kenobi specifically left behind for Luke to find. The journal details Kenobi's adventures during the time he was in hiding on Tatooine. What follows is an excerpt from the journal. Issue number seven. From where Skywalker Strikes left off, Luke discovering Ben's journal, we arrive on Tatooine, where a moisture farmer is being shaken down by Jabba's thugs for his remaining water supply. As the thugs beat the farmer, an aged Obi-Wan walks by, ruminating on how he cannot protect the weak anymore, lest he reveal himself as a Jedi. Obi-Wan reflects on how he is no longer a Jedi, but a lonely hermit, who cannot even train Luke after his uncle forbade it. Though he still watches over Luke and the Lars family, he feels lost, as none of his training prepared him to ignore the pains of others. The next day, while trying to sell some small desert fruits in town, Obi-Wan witnesses Jabba's thugs attempting to put down a farmer's revolt. Using the Force and his fruits, he is able to short-circuit all the thugs' guns simultaneously. Though the thugs flee... Obi-Wan realizes his foolishness and decides not to enter town again. Later that night, in his hut, Obi-Wan tries to justify how his recluse is noble, only to realize that Luke has left the Lars homestead, nowhere to be found. 
Jabba's thugs find Skywalker trying to steal their water supplies, and Luke states the water belongs to the farmers, not them. As the thugs prepare to kidnap Luke and make him a slave, they begin to be flung around by an unknown presence. As they are flung around and their guns fly from their grips, Luke is knocked out. The thugs are all knocked out and never see who or what is attacking them. As the last thug falls, Obi-Wan appears and takes Luke home. Back at his hut, Ben states his hopes, that Luke's courage inspired him, and that the Jedi are not gone, and he hopes someday he can tell Luke this story. The scene snaps back to Luke in his X-Wing, reading this entry in Ben's journal as they continue to an unknown destination. Issue number eight. The issue opens back on the unknown planet Leia, Han, and Sana Solo are on. An Imperial Star Destroyer arrives and orders a complete bombardment of the area to flush out the two ships that landed on the planet. As the Empire prepares their attack, Han and Leia attempt to figure out what Sana is doing here. Sana, Sana states how she left a probe on the planet to alert her when Han would return, and that he's trying to woo the princess to get closer to her. When Leia walks away in disgust, Han calls her name, which makes Sana realize who she is. Stating that the princess has a high bounty on her head, Sana blows up their ship, then tells Han that they are going to claim the bounty on Leia, and he is going to return with Sana back where he belongs. Meanwhile, Luke is frustrated to learn Ben's journal has nothing but stories, with none of them helping him in his Jedi training. He decides to go to Nar Shaddaa to try and get someone to smuggle him to Coruscant's Jedi Temple. However, Luke is not subtle in his approach, and manages to out himself as a Jedi while also turning an entire bar against him. As he attempts to get himself out of this situation, a masked figure is able to steal his lightsaber using some sort of red energy field and flees the bar, with Luke in hot pursuit. Back on the Unknown Planet, Han attempts to stop Sana from selling out Leia. The princess is able to use Han to knock him and Sana down, then pulls her gun on the pair. However, Sana reveals that she has already contacted the Imperials, and the TIE Patrol that was tasked to bomb the area is now making an attack run on the trio. Issue number nine. The issue begins with Luke chasing the figure who stole his lightsaber. Though the thief is able to escape by attaching himself to a speeder via a magnetic glove, Luke leaps after him with the force and is able to catch the thief. They fall and end up in Hutta Town, where the thief's master, Gracchus the Hutt, is waiting for Luke. Back on the unknown planet, the Taias land and their pilots attempt to arrest Leia. However, the princess starts a firefight with the Imperials, and when Sana attempts to let the Imperials kill her, Han tells her that he is also a rebel, so they'll kill him as well. The trio are able to defeat the landed Imperials and flee in Sana's ship. On Nar Shaddaa, Luke duels Gracchus's bodyguards, who happen to be old Separatist Magna Guard. The droids, programmed to defeat Jedi, easily overpower Luke and bring him to Gracchus's lair. Inside, Gracchus reveals that he is a collector of Jedi artifacts, and has brought Luke here to have him unlock his collection of holocrons. Though Luke has never used the Force to open one, he barely manages to open the entire collection. Happy with his efforts, Gracchus has Luke taken away for the arena. 
R2 manages to contact Rebel Command, but Mon Mothma states they do not have the power to take on the Hut cartels, and must leave Luke to his fate. However, Chewbacca interrupts, and with 3PO translating, states that they will leave immediately to rescue Skywalker. 3PO is disheartened when he realizes he is part of the they. This time you have gone too far. No, I will not be quiet, Chewbacca. Why doesn't anyone listen to me? Issue number 10. In space above the unknown planet, Han, Leia, and Sana attempt to outrun the Imperial Star Destroyers and its TIE escort. The three bicker about their situation, and Sana remarks that Han's Kessel Run stories are tall, are tall tales, and her ship, the Volt Cobra, is the ship Han always wished he had. With her much better ship, they are able to outrun the Imperials and jump to hyperspace. Meanwhile, Chewbacca and 3PO land on Nar Shadda. 3PO attempts to find Luke by asking a group of fellow droids who state that they have seen him. The droids then lead him to an alley and attempt to sell him for parts. However, Chewie planned for this and brutally disarms the droids as 3PO reiterates his request for their assistance in locating Luke. Luke arrives at the arena and is introduced to the Game Master, a hooded, burly, red-skinned human. The Game Master returns Luke's lightsaber to him and tells Skywalker that the Jedi Temple on Coruscant is gone, as is its knowledge. He states that Gracchus's holocrons could teach him all he needs to know, assuming he survives. The Game Master then ignites his own lightsaber and tells Luke that with no Jedi left, the artifacts are beginning to die due to non-maintenance, so he'd better get to learning quickly. The two begin to spar with their lightsabers. Chewbacca and 3PO arrive at the bar Luke was in, and 3PO asks if they can point the two of them to where Luke went. However, the patrons take this as a threat, which Chewbacca confirms through 3PO, stating the patrons either remove themselves or be removed. The scene cuts to, to a bar patron being hurled out the window. The scene cuts back to Luke training against multiple mana guard. Gracchus and the Game Master discuss Luke's paltry training, though Gracchus states many crime bosses are eager to see the last Jedi die in the arena. He shows the Game Master the creature he is planning to have Luke fight, remarking that everything dies in his arena. On the Volt Cobra, Sana and Han continue to bicker about whether or not they are married. Leia interrupts to say they need to head to Nar Shadda, as she has learned Luke is in trouble after contacting the rebel fleet. Sana declines, even ignoring Leia's offer to pay her stating that she only wants her husband back. Leia agrees to her terms, ignoring Han's outrage. The scene returns to the bar, on the rooftop. 3PO interrogates the barkeep while Chewie holds him over the edge. After learning the location of Gracchus's palace, Chewie lets the bartender go, and the two head over for the palace. The issue ends with another bar, where one-eyed Gungan remarks that he is sure Chewbacca is on the smuggler's moon which means Han Solo and his large bounty are also on Nar Shaddaa. The man he is talking to is revealed to be the bounty hunter Dengar, who asks where specifically Chewbacca was seen. Hey, boss, who's your girlfriend? Shut up, Dengar! Issue number 11. The issue begins with Chewbacca and 3PO scouting out Gracchus's palace from afar. 3PO points out that with the amount of crime lords attending today, it will be impossible for them to rescue Luke. Though as he says this, 
R2 is sneaking into the palace, unknown to the other two. However, their plans are cut short as Dengar paralyzes Chewbacca with a stun bolt. He then demands 3PO contact Han and tell him to come to Nar Shadda. 3PO instead states that Chewie saved his life on Simoon 1 and returns the favor by removing the stun bolt, shorting himself out in the process. An enraged Chewbacca then prepares to square off against Dengar. In Gracchus's palace, Luke prepares to fight in the arena. Gracchus states that Luke will die today and reveals that he has taken the journal of Obi-Wan Kenobi to Luke's anger. Before he can do anything, Luke is thrust into the arena and his opponent is revealed to be a giant cybernetically enhanced monster named Kongo the Disemboweler. On the Volt Cobra, Han attempts to speak with Leia, who is ignoring him. Leia and Sana discuss their plans before the princess locks Han in the cargo room. Han reveals he married Sana as part of a break-in. He used the wedding as a cover, but never thought he had actually married Sana. Trapped in the cargo hold, Han wishes Chewie was around to help him. Chewie continues to duel Dengar. The Wookiee is easily able to overpower Dengar. However, the bounty hunter manages to detonate a grenade on Chewie's back, incapacitating him. Dengar begins to torture Chewie to get Han's attention. In the arena, Luke tries to strike Kongo down, but learns his cybernetic limbs are able to withstand lightsaber blows. Gracchus and the Game Master discuss Luke's progress so far. However, the Game Master disappears partway through the conversation. Alone, the Game Master reveals he is an Imperial agent and that a TIE Patrol is en route to capture the Jedi. Dengar's attempts to torture info out of Chewie fail when the Wookiee strikes back at him. Enraged, Dengar attempts to kill Chewie and extract Han's location. However, he is stopped by Solo himself, who shoots him in the back while demanding Dengar take his hands off Chewie. This is bad. That's your friend. Do something. Oh, shut your Wookiee grunt hole, will you? Don't give me that. You made a choice. She was my wife. I don't care. I don't want to hear it. Issue number 12. Han and Leia attempt to get Dangar to surrender to them. The bounty hunter pulls out a thermal detonator and attempts to bargain with it. However, Chewie picks him up from behind and hurls him off the building. The detonator explodes with Dengar as he falls. And while Han and Chewie reunite, Leia is able to discern Luke's location by following the TIE patrols that have just appeared and are all heading in the same direction. In the arena, Kongo is on the verge of devouring Luke. However, Kongo is knocked out by the Game Master's shock collar he also destroys Gracchus's guards and places him under arrest as the Empire storms Gracchus's compound, intent on capturing Luke and seizing the Jedi artifacts. Amidst the chaos, R2 is able to sneak into Gracchus's Jedi storeroom and retrieves Luke's lightsaber. Gracchus reveals that he has secret measures he never told the Game Master about, and activates a localized EMP to short out the Imperial blasters. Gracchus then assaults the weaponless Imperials, using his bulk to attack them. At the same time, Kongo reawakens and begins tearing into everything it can see. The Imperials attempt to arrest Luke, however R2 fires his lightsaber to them, and Luke takes down his weaponless assailants with ease. At the same time, Leia, Han, Chewie, and Sana enter the arena in time to see the crowds fleeing. Kongo emerges and charges past them. 
As they pick themselves up, Sana is nowhere to be seen, and Imperial reinforcements can be heard arriving. However, R2 arrives and reveals he stole every one of Gracchus's lightsabers he could find, and arms the rest of the group with them. Han jokes that next, Ben will try and teach him the Force, but he, Chewie, and Leia storm into the arena, attacking the Imperials with their new lightsabers. The Game Master attacks Luke, easily overpowering him. However, before he can capture him, Gracchus attacks the Game Master for his treachery. Though the Game Master manages to disable the hut with one of his lightsabers, the Imperials aren't sure who to, who to capture, since Luke and Han both have lightsabers now. R2 returns with Ben's journal, and Han tells Chewie to get Luke out while he goes to find Leia. The princess is rescuing Sana, stating she couldn't let Han's wife die. Sana admits she's not actually Han's wife, and her full name is Sana Staros. And the actual reason she's been after Han is that he left with her cut after their break-in went bad. On good terms now, the group escapes Narshada, and Gracchus is taken into Imperial custody. In the Hut's Jedi storeroom, the Game Master is debriefed by Darth Vader. Though the Game Master admits he never learned Skywalker's name, Vader has a suspicion he knows who the boy is. And that concludes our summary of Showdown on the Smuggler's Moon. So, what did you guys think about Volume 2? Dan, what are your thoughts? Uh, I like Volume 2. Uh, it was a good continuation from Volume 1. It kept the tension uh, at parts where you just weren't sure what was going to happen especially when Luke gets captured mm. by Gracchus. Um, some interesting points that I really liked about what happened was the first issue was uh, Obi-Wan Kenobi's journal and him on Tatooine and rescuing Luke. I thought that was really cool to see that. It was really well drawn. There's a lot of really nice panels in that one. Uh, mm. And just the, the artwork is amazing. Uh, the next issue... Basically, where we get introduced to Sana Solo or Sana Staros. Um, sure. She, it, it wasn't too bad. Not a lot happened in that one. They're just kind of getting attacked by, like, they're bickering for a bit and they get attacked by um, uh, the Empire. And Luke gets his lightsaber stolen. And that's mm -hmm. pretty much the entire volume there. Nothing really to go off there, apart from Luke's a little bit uh, hot headed uh nativity <laughs> yeah like it, he's got that um what's the word i'm looking for that kind of like green behind the ears naive bravado yeah like when he goes and is like i know how to do this i'm gonna go straight in and just ask them to their face and it's like oh no yeah exactly <laughs> so he gets he gets pretty pretty screwed up there and he's got to jump over try and find the guy with his lightsaber the mm. fact that uh he gets uh captured and put into Gracchus's um, arena was really cool. And knowing that Gracchus has um, all the like Jedi stuff and whatnot, that was really cool. Mm -hmm. I would, I really want to know where he gets all that kind of stuff just because I thought it was really interesting to see a lot of the Jedi that we knew, like Shakti and stuff. Mm -hmm. um, the Magna Guard was really cool. That was a good touch just to have that. Uh, Grievous's Magna Guards as his bodyguards. That was pretty cool. Mm -hmm. um, the fight with Chewbacca was awesome. Oh my god. Chewbacca against um, Dengar. Dengar on the <laughs> roof. Oh, dude, that was so cool. 
And oh, like yeah. my favorite part was when Chewie's like standing up and he's like steaming mm-hmm. from like or smoking, I guess, from, from all from the, being electrocuted. Yeah, from all the electricity. I was like, oh, this is so good. Chewbacca's gonna destroy mm. him. A little bit disappointed there was no arm ripping, but I mean, mm. it's Dengar. Yeah, it's Dengar since he's gonna show up in Episode Five. That was the one weird thing though, where like at the end of is it the last volume where they make it look like Dengar dies with a grenade, and you're like, um, what? But I know he lives <laughs> exactly. <Yeah. laughs> um, some other things that happen were when the Han, Leia, and Chewie get to the arena and they like grab all the lightsabers from R two D two and they activate them. That panel, I remember looking at that. I'm like, yes, it's fan service, but I loved it. <laughs> Chewbacca dual wielding lightsabers. I'm like, yes, please, mm-hmm. forever. Um, that that was an that was an interesting one for me because I remember because um, you guys read the the comics as they were coming out, but I I didn't back then. Yeah. Um. So I I, I remember seeing the My Name Is Sana Solo. I'm Han Solo's wife that we were talking about uh, in in Volume One that I saw and was like, oh wow, are they already jumping the shark this early? And then. Later, a very soon after that, came the picture with everyone with lightsaber, and I was like, I don't, I don't know what's happening anymore. What, like, from from no context, it seemed very jump the shark moment. But yeah, yeah in in the actual context of of the book, I think I like it a lot more, and it makes a lot more sense. All right, yeah, it makes mm-hmm. sense. Um, and then the final volume, pretty much the the whole like fight against Congo and stuff was pretty interesting. I really enjoyed Congo. As I thought it was a rancor from like it being in the cage, it just had that like claw look of a rancor. Yeah, yeah. Um, there was I don't know if you noticed, but if you look at the creatures that are in the cages, there you have like the what was that like um, mantis looking thing that you really liked from episode two. Oh yeah, the accolade. The yeah. accolade, and then they had a few other ones in there. Like a wampa was in there as well, in the cages. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was a lot of things that you're just like, oh, that's cool. Like little nods to everything. Mm-hmm. Um. Looking at the reason why Sauna Staros was there, this is the, the elephant in the room for Noma and Ed. Um, <laughs> but Ed can't talk at the moment because he is uh, away. But he will be back in a few minutes to talk about his in- impressions of the volume. Mm-hmm. But Sauna Staros, her just wanting her money back. Yeah. That's all it was, right? So quickly, let's talk about yep. why maybe you guys didn't like Sauna Staros so much at the beginning here. Yeah, so, um, yeah, I, I don't know specifically what Ed didn't like about her. Um, it's pretty much the same so stuff, we, I think, that you did. Yeah, so we might end up going over the same points. But, yeah, my biggest thing was that her her reason at the end, it ruins every, all the dialogue that she's been saying up until that point. I I it. I understand what they wanted to do because they didn't want to, in the immediate next issue... Just say, oh, I'm not really his wife. Yeah, exactly. And then just say, like... But it... Story-wise, it would have made so much more sense. Because she spends three volumes, I think, constantly saying... Yeah, sorry, three issues. Constantly saying, you know, you're my husband. You're my, I just want my husband back. I Like, I, I, I'm only here for my husband. I don't care about the rest of you. Which is partially it, true. Like, she's there only for Solo. Yeah. But, it, on a, but like, she, it's coming across as something else. Exactly, it's coming across as he, and yeah, because there's especially the point when she says like, um, "We're gonna do this, and then he's gonna come back with me." Yeah, and it's like if if you just want your cut of the pay, which is very fair, right? To say that if you just want your part of yeah, exactly, just say that. I just need to get I need to get my my cut. I need replace all of that 
I'm your wife with just, look, I'm here for my money. I just want my money. Please give it to me. And it would have solved so many conflicts because I think Leia would have been fine with that. All I think right, that's we'll the whole point, though, those... was like creating that conflict between Leia and Han and Sana. Yeah, but it's... It, it's At the same time, it's... It, was just, it was there just to be there. Exactly. And yeah. it's... it's... I don't want to, to to rip on it too much, but it's it's the same kind of problem from uh, Lost Stars, where you have a character and the character set up well, at least established well, and is doing a lot of good things. Well, in in uh, in Lost Stars' case, the character set up very well, and I understand all of their motivations, and then you just turn that on its heel because you need a story point later on, and this is the same thing where you introduce her, you give her her motivations. She sticks to all those motivations, and then it turns out all those motivations were a lie, so it weakens the character a lot. Mm-hmm. So that's my biggest problem. I mean, there's a lot of moments in this this volume that do, I wouldn't say redeem, but like are kind of like the opposite that I really enjoy. Like you were saying, the Dengar Chewie fight, I was like, oh man, I'm about to see Dengar get his kick. This is gonna be great. Um, the whole like Luke kind of learning from uh, learning Jedi arts from a really really kind of obscure source that you would never expect you know he's learning through so, just some random guy who has a lightsaber yeah he's not force be... sensitive he just knows some of the forms i guess right how to, mm-hmm. how to fight with the sword yeah exactly um the only thing i'm a little bit disappointed about is that you know r2 grabs all the journal and he grabs all the lightsabers it would have been you would have thought he could also grab a holocron maybe but at the same time, I'm not going to hold that against the book because if Luke had a holocron, his training would just skyrocket, and then I'd be going, "Why is he so bad in Episode Five? So I, I I understand why they didn't do that. It just it feels like in that situation that should have happened. Yeah. Um, yeah. Other than that, you know, other than than Sana's whole thing, the rest of the comic was was pretty good, and I enjoyed it. So. Is there any part that you really like stood out to you that you're like, that's one of my favorite parts of this one? I've got the opposite. When Sonostaros called her ship the Volt Cobra and said it was better than the Falcon, my eyes rolled into the back of my I skull. I mean, everybody thinks their ship is the best <laughs> ship, let's be honest. That's true. That's, like the ghost. That's Everyone thinks the ghost is the best. Yeah. You know. Um, but is there, is there a point that you're like, you know what, if I had to reread this again, this is what I would reread? Probably the climax. I did like the the whole, like, we're going to break into Gracchus's palace and we're going to free Luke and everything's going terrible for Luke and they, they all just kind of you know, so many things happen at once. And I like the fact, I, I really enjoy when multiple people have different plans mm-hmm. and all of those plans work great until they all happen to cross paths, even though they didn't know it. Exactly. Um, yeah, one one um, media, well, I, manga, I might as well say it, one manga anime that does that really well uh, more recently is One Piece. And I really love... Sure when they do that, like, yeah, the Straw Hats are doing their plan, and then, you know, Don't Big Flamingo Mom shows up. Or whatever. Yeah, Don Flamingo, Big Mom, Kaido, anyone shows up and just ruins everything because they have their own established plan. And, you know, that happens here. Everything comes to a head. The Game Master has his plan. Luke's got his slightly worse plan. Um, Han, Leia, and all the others have their plan that goes off. Like, it's just, it's it's a clash of all these things at once. And, and I always love the, the phrase... Um, I, I love the phrase and I just forgot it, which is great. But oh no, no plan survive. No, yeah, no plan survives first contact with the enemy. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and you see that here, and everything just goes nuts. But everyone's still trying to, to, you know, work out their plans to the best of their abilities. And the other, so the other that saying really... is, I love it when a plan comes together. 
Yeah, comes together <laughs> in a yeah in a slightly broken manner. <laughs> exactly. Um, the one thing I remember you telling me about that you thought was interesting was Gracchus and the game master and him just like picking him up. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah well, specifically Gracchus because I was in the beginning I was like that is a skinny hut, and then when the the final confrontations starting and I'm going oh no that's a jacked hut yeah that's a I that's have, a muscular hut yeah I've never seen a buff hut in my life and it's a little bit scary <laughs> especially with the legs where he can be actually quite mobile yeah right and I'm I'm also just wondering like what does he do how does he is it just pull ups all day like how did he get <laughs> could that you rinse? imagine <laughs> oh boy trying to watch a slug do a pull up I mean, I would I would pay to see that he does lightsaber <laughs> curls or something. <laughs> yeah that that's, that's something that that i like surprised me and i i laughed when i i realized that i know we were talking about this a little bit where gracchus has this necklace and you don't realize until the last issue that it's a necklace made of lightsabers yeah because that's how the game master gets it and like slices the yeah. mechanical legs yep yeah and and it was one of those things where i was like okay i thought it was bones because you like... don't really look at it right yeah right they just kind of look like bones so i was like okay that's that is interesting and cool why are they all active exactly you're like what if he bumps into something and he actually yeah. like activates a lightsaber and like impales yeah, himself it, with a lightsaber exactly like he it hits his neck and all of a sudden he's got no chest like that's with small problem right exactly <laughs> so that was a little bit weird uh unless the game master grabbed the only one that was actually active i, I, I would be i think i would be angrier if that was the case i would too he believed um, in the heart of the lightsabers. <laughs> all right, Ed, do you want to tell us your thoughts on Volume 2? Like, for the most part, I enjoyed it. Um, I have to say for the most part, because there are just bits that were frustrating in the sense where it could easily have been all avoided. But to win this issue with, with what Luke goes through, you kind of needed that, like, kind of help from everywhere i'll get into that in a bit but certain characters ahem sana uh, for the most part that just felt kind of forced upon us for the only reason of being like this is she's here because we say so and that's it and there you go kind of thing like alluding to that where yeah we're married what no no, no yeah we've been married for like years now so who are you i don't care who you are back off he's mine no oh, you don't like that okay i'm gonna get i'm gonna get us all killed i was like talk about extremes man and in the sense where it's okay how were you married exactly oh we were pulling a job and we got like married to pull it off kind of things like so it's a sham really and it's not real oh well no it's real now because i want it to be real now I'm like come on gonna woolly sort of explanation for that and then, because you don't get your way, basically go on a childlike tantrum, being like, I, I forget the actual quote. And it's like, oh, no, fine. You know this? I know you have a bounty on your head. I know they're looking for her because you called her by her name. Ha ha. Bounty. I've called the Imperials already. The Imperials don't care about you. They're not going to reward you. If they can blow you all up and say, like, hey, we did the thing. That's what they're going to do, which is what they exactly try to do with that first bombing run and everything like that. And then Han's like, well, I'm a rebel, too you still want to be married to me kind of thing. It's like, eh, whatever, we'll all die kind of thing. Like, that's stupid. And so I just took a lot of issue with that, which kept me from, like, fully enjoying this one. But um, that was that was the part I had problems with. The first of my problems with, I'll say. Um, 
the whole thing with Luke trying to figure out more Jedi powers, pretty much, and going through Ben's old. Well, I don't. I can't. I, that's the first time I've actually called him Ben. He's always Obi Wan for me. <laughs> but especially with Obi Wan, in the sense of we're getting insight into his life after after everything that happened up with Order 66 and him on Tatooine. And that's more of the thing that I always wanted to hear more of. So that's the filler that I appreciate in the sense of going through day to day. It's just boring being like, okay, I can't protect anybody. Anymore. I can't do the thing I was like basically raised from a kid to do. What do I do now? Sort of thing. And when you see him, when he's in the, I guess, in the city kind of, right? And he sees the thugs attacking and he's just like, no, I can... His first instinct is like, you know, jump in and help. But you can't exactly overly do that without exposing yourself. So the whole, nah, I'm just going to discreetly do this. But it's like, even that, like, no, okay, the fruits are flying all weird and the guns are leaving our hands. What? Like that, I, you feel bad for the guy and not because he can do it. He's just like, he's lost sort of, right? Still just trying to figure out his... How old was he when after episode three? Do we know? Um, after episode three, I would assume he's in his late thirties, like early forties. Exactly right. Maybe maybe older, so, maybe even older. Because by the time the New Hope runs around, it's been about what thirteen or twenty so years. years. At Is it twenty years? Because at least because Luke was basically nineteen off of that, right? Okay. Just, so if you're when thinking he's, around, he's the, yeah, that would make sense. So if he's like forty, he'd be sixties by then, right? That makes sense. So, yeah, for 20 years, this guy's had to go around and basically hide his, hide his face, hide what he can do, everything like that. And it's just like, you know, it's like now he doesn't even want to enter the town again because, like, if he sees stuff like that, he's not going to know if he's going to just, like, you know, do his natural thing to respond to it no matter what. I remember this scene back in the Clone Wars when he, he was captured. I don't know if it was Wookiees or just other slaves, right? Do you remember when uh, they were on um, Zygeria? When Anakin, yeah. had, he was like, he's basically like indentured to the queen or whatever, and they threw they threw Obi Wan into the slave dens, and yeah, that was that was guy. crazy, and exactly, and then he gets the girl gets even more beat up for it because he's st- it's like it reminded me of that right away. And so it's like, yeah, this is what Obi Wan's been doing the entire time. So that it's just you, you can't help but to feel bad for him, and then even though like. Luke's reading through this in the journal and it's like, I just want to learn more Jedi stuff. It's like, no, man, this is the guy who's like, you know, who in Legends you would have named your son after because of all this. Now it's like, yeah, that's that's just getting off the point. But it, it just, it was powerful in that sense to get that different perspective rather than just being like the mystical old man who was just there watching over you. It's like, no, he had a life too, man. As like, drab as it was through no doing of his own i don't know that that's just for issue seven alone where it was just like that was a big issue for that getting to luke now did anybody else get the kind of spartacus vibe from everything that gracchus was trying to pull because that there's a, yeah there's some really good I, I i got the vibe of that but at the same time it's like gracchus has this weird obsession as well with the Jedi, which was very interesting. It and that played a lot into like the hut greed kind of thing, right? Where it's like one of them was like, "Oh, I'm all about money," and Jabba was like, he had 
the pod races and everything like that. Well, Gracchus can make out of the pit, but, you know, Jedi... Every eccentric in this universe seems to be like, I want to collect Jedi stuff and all that. So, because it's like, it's antiquities now, basically, right? Granted, it's been 20 years and everybody's somehow forgotten that the Jedi were a thing. I've always found that very strange. And I would, I would, would have loved to seen where he got some of that stuff. Because there's some holocrons yeah. and things that you're like, where did that come from? Or whose Especially lightsabers were like, those? Right? Because everything from the temple got ransacked by the Imperials. Most likely, like, nobody's going to... Well, I say nobody's going to slip on there, but in Star Wars, we always have those few guys that can. Um, but in the sense, he's like, yeah, open these Jedi. He's like, he's not a Jedi. Not yet. Not really. But the fact that he's able to, I guess, after, like, what? The most desperate bid to try and do something. Um... After he's able to, it's just, okay, you can do the thing. Great. Now I'm going to keep these and you're going to go die in the pits. You see, and that's where I got the whole Spartacus vibe from him being trained by the, I always want to call him Doctor at this point. Uh, that guy was, uh, we just call them the, um, the game master or something. Yeah. The game master, but he's like, yeah, he's going to train him at the same time and do all this. And I found it hilarious that there was a Magna guard that he actually lost to. Because before, you remember, before we continue from that, do you know who that guy is? Do you remember him from anything in the future? The Game Master? Yeah. Mm. Not really? Okay, so oh. spoiler alert right here. If you don't want to know what happens later on, uh, make sure you skip this part, maybe about a minute or so. Uh, this guy is the leader of Scar Squadron. What? Yeah, this is the same guy. This is the introduction of the guy from Scar Squadron. I can't remember his name, but he's definitely uh, the leader of that. Yeah, because like after everything in the fights and all that, who should come to like bail him out? But like the same guy, right? Mm -hmm. And then it's so like, that was cool. Okay, either through altruism or just because it's like you know what? I'm tired of seeing this, and we finally have a chance to change it. Sure, why not? Kind of opportunistic moment, sort of thing. But like. How many huts get overthrown by that one moment? We think of Jabba and then Leia just choking him out in that badass way. And then you have, at this point right now, it's Grack is like, oh, no, what are you doing? It's like, you know what? No, I'm done. You you fend for yourself with this and the Imperial step. Everybody just... The whole... I wanted to use a different word, but this is a PG podcast. <laughs> but the cluster of things that happen all at once was just so i mean star wars you can call it the you know will of the force at this point but just the convenience of everything coming to a head at that point where r2 and chewie after everything they go through not r2 and chewie sorry uh 3po and chewie after everything they go through to get to that point han and leia and sana <laughs> at this point coming through for that is like okay and then the imperials in their own way actually helping out by helping him escape by just being the distraction they are so i was like yeah see kudos to the imperials woo we always do what we need to but what disappointed me with this was the fact that like you know everybody's reaching out to rebel command for like you know help luke and i understand where they're coming from at the same time mon mothma and her like i can't help but things like snooty high voice but like I'm sorry, we have no one to help you right now. He's on his own. Like, this is the guy who's going to save your lives. They don't know. 
what is like, oh, no, he's off on his own. He's going to fend for himself. We don't have enough to take on the huts. And it's like, really? This is like one of your best guys and you can't send somebody? And that's why I love Chewie. He's like, oh, you're not going to go? Okay, we're going to go save him then. <laughs> what ties do we have to you really? But you're paying, I mean, whatever, you're paying us. We don't care. We got paid already. We're going to go do this. Because, you know, Chewie's a badass and that's the kind of guy he is. It was funny with 3PO being like, oh, ha, ah, yeah, you're going to, wait, me. Oh. And I can I can just imagine him, like, being strapped to him again, like in episode six where he's in pieces, so Chewie's just carrying him around oh, everywhere. Yeah. yeah, like, that's, that, really good. that's what I was thinking of again, just being like, it would have been funnier if it was like that. But, you know, almost everything with Sana, I almost, I almost skipped over because it's... It was just funny to see, not funny, but it's like frustrating to the point where we're just like, oh, we're back here again with these guys. And I, and I like Han. I want to read everything about him, but this was really trying. And I've already listened to a couple audiobooks where Itsana was introduced, kind of. And even then, it was just like, oh man, it was tough to get through. But, and I really. I enjoyed it for the most part. Dengar coming back was just a kind of funny sort of, ha, huh, if there was a bounty hunter who you knew was going to eventually mess up anyway. I, I love the fact that Dengar and Chewie got to fight it out. That was such a that good fight. Was, an, was that insane, Because Chewie's like just this massive bear that's going to just destroy Dengar. And then Dengar's right? got all these gadgets that are like, electrocute Chewie. And like, exactly. Chewie's getting up and he's like all like smoky from all the electricity. And he's just like, you're just like, uh, Chewie is going to wreck Dengar now. Right. But then how can you expect like a grenade out of nowhere? It's like, yeah, grenade on your back. You're yeah, that, like, that's crazy. That actually kind of scared me a bit. It's like, we knew just something. He's not going to die, but like, he's injured. Hurt, yeah. Man. Yeah. Like, that's going to, that's going to be insane. He's got Wookiee, Wookiee muscle. <laughs> that thing is uh, <laughs> undamageable. Um, but yeah, even, even for that, it's, that fight was good. And that, that was something I really enjoyed. Another thing with, uh, with Congo just being what he is, was it, do we know if it was actual cortosis he was made of or? Uh, I don't think so. Cause it wasn't immune to lightsabers. Was, it was it, like, you I mean, could eventually cut through it. That, right? Yeah. Like it, it was resistant, but it wasn't immune. Yeah. So it must have been like maybe like a prototype cortosis material, maybe I don't know, because he said it was a material that is basically able to go through the magma of certain planets. Like he would bore mm-hmm. through. I think it was Mustafar, if I'm not mistaken, but or something like that. Yeah, but it it was still it was still interesting. To see, because of what that reminded me of. I mean, I'm assuming all of us have played The Force Unleashed. I know I yeah. have. I'm pretty sure Noma has too. Yeah, because there's the there's the there's the fight where Starkiller has to fight the um, a huge um, a rancor, but it's all decked out in like this crazy this crazy sort of metal all to it. It's not resistant, but that's that's the vibe I got from the fight. Just like this colossal thing. It's like yeah, it's beat everybody before, and we keep it chained up and everything like that. And here you go, Luke. But yeah, it's like again, we hit a part where he's I don't know how. If they ever do something for episode six where they put it something like this into the co- into the comic form, continuing from this, let's say, can you imagine if 
he's in the he's in that little chamber in Jabba's palace with the with the rancor, and it's gonna eat him. And he's like, "Not this again," kind of thing. He can make that joke. Yeah. Now, what did you think of the part with uh, Han, Leia, and Chewie with lightsabers and Chewie like dual wielding that panel? You remember that one? Yeah, I'm thinking for that. That's when they're entering the arena and Congo's like on the loose. Yeah, I thought it was like fan service at that point. You didn't like it? No, not that I didn't like it, but it was just like, here's a kind of false return of the Jedi sort of thing. But because like they're the best weapons on hand, right? True. And they only the the only things that would work really. Pretty much. Because everything else was EMP, right? But again, this is because of Best Boy R2. This is why he's my favorite. He just this takes is all the lightsabers and like, he has all of them. And he's like, here, he's Oprah R2. Yeah. Like, you have one and you, you have get one, one and you, you get have one. two. Right? Yeah. So, no, that's, he's always clutch for this stuff. And he's, it's like, what? He just, he's like, yeah, I stole everyone I could find. Here you go. Yeah. But again, like you were saying, it's like, at the same time, I wonder where he got all these from. And it's like, there's not just a store you can walk down and be like, oh, well, black market, but still. No, oh, I'm going to get that one and that one. And can I have this one with the blue blade? Like, no. And then it was it was nice that he didn't just take the lightsabers, but he got the journal back too. Especially after Luke's reaction to finding out that Gracchus had stolen it. Mm-hmm. No, so I was like, you know, R2's got a heart of gold. I don't care what anybody says about him. And then, he can be murderous sometimes. I'm surprised well, he didn't yeah. just, like, sport two lightsabers with his arms. Yeah. That'd but be hilarious. I'll make, make one final point about Sana, and just because he is, like, it's one thing to throw a tantrum. It's <laughs> another thing to be like, oh, I'm going to get us all killed. And it's like, you're just spiteful. That's it. That's all that, That's all this is. Or it's like, oh, all, she did, yeah. all she wanted was her money. She could have just asked for it. Exactly, right? It's like, oh, I was just hurt because you left like that and you cheated me out of this thing. It's just like, well, say that. Don't yeah. bring all this drama for everything then. And just treat it like business. And I like, think you cut me the, the reason why she was like that for at least these issues was because they wanted to create some sort of tension for uh, the lead up to The Force Awakens and some tension between Han and Leia in the past yeah just to show that everything wasn't always all good kind of thing exactly like we know they bickered and stuff but then we didn't know that han had this thing that happened in his past right so yeah because this it would like that that piece would be i guess in between solo the movie and a new hope which we don't have any as much information as we would like so that was kind of the first bit of information in there about sana from his past right so now a hut finally being arrested. Did anybody else just scream justice at that point? Yeah, right. And also, did you notice? Did you notice that the hut he had like mechanical legs underneath to get around? Yeah. Um, those Which... those are from uh, the expanded this... universe and legend stuff. Uh, um, okay. I can't. I think they're called armored huts or shell huts or something like that. And mm-hmm. they're actually like there's some huts that think that's terrible, but other huts that are that use these legs and things. Like it because then they can get around faster. Yeah. So it is from the expanded universe, and I thought that was pretty cool that they brought that back. They better be giving credit to whoever came up with the idea. Right. That's all I. Like you guys, they threw the EU out like it was nothing, and now it's like they're cherry picking ideas and stuff like that. I like that though because they they're picking really good ideas. 
and the Which ideas is, that maybe I, are not so good they can just leave <laughs> exactly and i don't my problem with that is just make sure credit goes where it's deserved sure that's because these people put a lot of work into it and i enjoyed much of it as i was growing up and just the I was really, I was really mad when it got all cast off, and I was just like, that's why I was like hoping if they were to bring things back, make sure you put in mention to don't just say, oh, this is just Disney idea. It's not. Mm-hmm. Like that's something I'll be very upset with if they choose to go that way, which I, I don't think they will, but I have like this small side of me that's just like, yeah, yeah, they're gonna just claim it and not gonna pay out anything else. So we'll see about that. All right. And then, any, any final thoughts? Yeah, ending it off with Vader was just nice for me, and that sense she's just like, hmm, boy, because there's certain there's certain scenes where you remember where uh, he finds, I think it was Boba who comes back and reports him about what after he and Luke had a yeah, it was Boba, and then he looks out the viewport and just shatters the oh well, like the whole cracks the whole yeah, yeah like, that was like this is like the okay he's not gonna do it yet. But he's thinking now. Yeah, he's like, like, there's something here that I did not know was the case. And then maybe Vader down. (laughs) Vader down. So yeah, for for me overall, I did enjoy it. There were just a few things where I was just like, come on. Like, this is weak. But there wasn't enough of that to really take away from how good this second volume was. So I enjoyed it. Welcome to the outro for this episode of Temple Archives. Uh, Before we bid farewell to you all, we just want to go over a couple things that we talked about in the intro. Uh, So once again, all three of us will be attending Star Wars Celebration Chicago this year. That's from April 11th to the 15th. Uh, And we are very very excited to be going. It's my first time. I think Dan's been once or twice. This will be my third time, Uh, yeah. Oh, (laughs) jeez. 2015 was my first, second was 2017, and now... 19 Star Wars Celebration! So so we'll have one veteran and two newbies. Because exactly. I think this is Ed's first time too. You yeah. have got you guys have been to conventions before though. So that's that's something oh, yeah. that's new. Yeah. Not not new, so you have that experience. Yeah, never never a sci-fi specific convention, I guess, but oh, yeah, like, a, like a one, not even sci-fi, but like a one franchise convention. Yeah, very true. But uh, I, I mean, it'll, it'll, I'm excited. It'll, you know, it's always fun to go to a place where you know everyone shares at least one of your interests. You can literally—I <laughs> I was there for two, like two of the celebrations—and you can go into any line that you're waiting in and just have a massive, amazing conversation with somebody. I know oh, yeah. I, I met a few people in line. One of the guys in the Peter Mayhew autograph line, mm-hmm. uh, his name's Chris. He was a uh, tops trading card artist for Star Wars. Oh yeah. So yeah, we may have him on the that. podcast eventually, but like, what a what a connection to make. Just like talking about stuff, and I was just asking him like what he likes about Star Wars, and he obviously likes all the art and things from all the shows and stuff. And it was just really cool connection that you make with with random people in line. Mm-hmm. So. And speaking of random connections. Uh, that sounded bad, but let me... Speaking of it, so no strings attached. <laughs> <laughs> so speaking of connections, uh, we want to meet up with listeners and other podcasters. So if you guys find us, let us know you're a listener or a podcaster, and we'll try and hook you up. We're planning to bring some, some swag with us, 
some Voice of the Force brand swag. So, yeah, uh, if you find us, let us know, and we'll we'll try to hook you up. And with Star Wars Celebration in mind, uh, as we said at the beginning, we currently have a giveaway going on, our first giveaway. The prize is one five-day adult pass for Star Wars Celebration Chicago. The entry period for this contest is going to be March 2nd, 2019. So, I mean, in the past, but you're still you're still learning before the deadline. And the deadline is March 16th, 2019 at 9 a.m. EDT. It shouldn't take mm-hmm. you too long to enter the contest. And uh, oh, yeah. Noma, how can they enter the contest? Oh, yeah. Entering is very easy. There's only three steps. The first step is to follow us on Twitter. And you can find us at at VoiceForcePod. One more time, that is at VoiceForcePod. Step two is to retweet our giveaway tweet using the hashtag VOTF giveaway. Now that is all one word, and again, that is VOTF giveaway. And step three is to listen to our show, uh, any episode, and leave a review on iTunes or comment on the show post at www.voiceoftheforce.com. When you do this, remember to include your Twitter handle in the review slash comment. And also, just a disclaimer for this giveaway. So the winner is entitled to one five-day Star Wars Celebration Chicago ticket pass. Keep in mind, this does not include airfare, hotel accommodations, travel arrangements, media badge, or press credentials. The dates of Star Wars Celebration Chicago are April 11th to 15th. Note that the pass is not for resale, and winners will be contacted via Twitter. So next episode of Temple Archives, we'll be doing a book and a comic like we normally do. We'll be doing Aftermath by Chuck Wendig, which is going to be a really fun read. I know it was a big controversy when people were reading it. Off, like People were like, ah, this is not what we wanted. And then some people like me were like, oh my god, this is amazing. <laughs> um, so I'm excited to hear your two opinions on it because you have both not read them, I don't think. Mm-hmm. Um, the other thing we're going to be reading is Darth Vader Volume 2, Shadows and Secrets by Jason Aaron. So that's the sequel to Darth Vader Volume 1. Mm-hmm. And we'll get a little bit more dark side. So I'm excited for those two titles for sure. Mm-hmm. And in a very rare case, Darth Vader Volume 2 is a comic I've actually read before. Whoa, <laughs> this is awesome. <laughs> Yeah, one of the whole three, I think. That's great. I'm excited yeah. to hear everybody's uh, opinions on those. Oh, yeah. Speaking of feedback or opinions, Noma? <laughs> Good segue. So if you guys have any comments, critiques, questions, or I just want to you know, talk to us, there's a lot of different ways that you can do that. So one of those ways is through email, and our email is voiceoftheforce at gmail.com. There's a, if you uh, want to talk to us about this one or this episode specifically, your you know your own thoughts, comments, anything like that. Are we too harsh on a book? Are we not harsh enough? We can take criticism. Uh, make sure to have Temple Archives Five in your subject title. Let us know what you, you can... think of the books too. We really want to know what everybody oh, yeah. thinks about it, so we can kind of get more perspective on it. You might change Noma's mind on Cyanary. Mm-hmm. You never know. Yeah. Because, I mean, right now with our current group, uh, me and me and Ed are, you know, it's it's me and Ed's opinion and then also Dan with his very upbeat, not dead inside pessimism. Dun, 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 dun. 
that's just me who's dead inside. I think Ed still has, uh, or I think Ed still has a will to live. There's a cynic in all of us. <laughs> yeah, mine is just it ate all the other people. Exactly. All the it other ate all the parts of, of Noma. <laughs> oh boy. Uh, there's also our Twitter, which is at Voice Force Pod, and uh, also. Just to let you guys know, retweeting our episode tweets does help with growing our listener base and is very much appreciated. Uh, we've also got a Facebook page, which is facebook.com slash voiceforcepod. And you can also listen, rate, and review us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play Podcasts, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Spotify, TuneIn, Overcast, and Pocket Cast. Reviewing helps with visibility. It is very much appreciated. And if you throw up a review... Uh, as long as we see it, we will definitely give you a shout out and you know give read out read your review and let you know what we think about it on our next episodes. Definitely. And, mm, and with those podcasts in mind, uh, subscribe for the latest episodes as soon as it releases. And with that being said, I think we are pretty much done. So from all of us here at Voice of the Force podcast, thank you very much for listening, and may the force be with you. Yeah, the the podcasts and announcement and, or a spoilers thing. What to call that? Um, like this here? Yeah. Um. Yeah, I think I've got. I think I've got an idea. PSA. <laughs> Public service announcement. <laughs> Public Star Wars announcement. Oh. Oh. <laughs> Branding. Uh, yeah. PSWA. Yeah. <laughs> You're welcome. I'm gonna copyright that. <laughs> oh, I should have mentioned that Lost Stars slightly redeems the Gungans. <laughs> Do they? Yeah, because they have that part where um, Yendor's like, "Hey, we're all going to Otaganga tonight because they've got like an amazing dessert that like is to die for." I didn't even catch that. I must have been half asleep when I was listening. Oh, uh, okay. Yeah, it's it's at the end after they uh, they're going to Otaganga. Yeah, after they they uh, defend against the Imperial attack, Yendor's like, "We're all going to Otaganga." I was like, "Really?" why oh they've got this amazing dessert I'm like, all right that makes sense oh the gungans actually are useful <laughs> <laughs>